Hi, I'm Rebecca Lieb. And I'm Jason Horton. And we're the hosts of Ghost Town, a comedy podcast about all places abandoned, tragic, mysterious, haunted, and true crimey. That's not a word. <laughs> we cover all kinds of locations like... The Los Feliz Murder House. An L.A. murder frozen in time. Action Park. The world's most dangerous amusement park. JonBenet Ramsey's house, Woodstock 99, the Cecil Hotel, and the Black House. Ooh, Satan. Mm. So pause the podcast you're currently listening to immediately and go subscribe to Ghost Town. And you can find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Hey. Groovy. Groovy. Yeah, groovy. We've got another ad for you here. This time it's for us. We're here to remind you one last time. This is your last chance to answer our November question for our listener. It's our question. November. Our, <laughs> no, I was I was working past that. I'm covering I wasn't going to say question three times. I'm covering my tracks here. Inquiry. <laughs> for our November episode, we're going to be taking a listener question we got and asking you other listeners to answer this question along with us. And that will be our episode for the November episode. episode um, uh, boy. So the question we have, it's from Jared Kolka. He emailed this to us. What do you like most about Angelinos? What should someone not from here be aware of to make their stay as agreeable as possible? This is your last chance, yeah. America. You better have a and, better answer than hey, me because I have no answer. Sometimes it's best just to say nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing I at all. I was trying to just, I wasn't going for The Simpsons. I was trying I to am. leave it as... <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm auditioning for The Simpsons by reading quotes from The Simpsons. I was just going to leave it at saying nothing, and then we say nothing, and then the episode starts, but... I'm going to try it again. Here we are, about 20 seconds later, Whoa. still in the ad. Well, you know what I've learned? Nothing. <laughs> at all. <laughs> at all. At all. At all. At all. At all. <laughs> Stupid Flanders. Uh, okay. Stupid sexy Flanders. <laughs> Here's the episode. At all. Well, it's 10 p.m. on Halloween night, and you know what that means. All the kids have gone to bed, and everyone's put their leftover candy out on their porch specifically for us. People in their 30s. The raccoons of humans. Facing off against our mortal enemy, the raccoon. The raccoon of raccoons. Well, here we go onto the porch of the house. The porch. Stop talking like that. You said I could be a narrator for Halloween, remember? It was interior, apartment, dusk. Shut up. Hey, where the hell's the candy? It should be right here. The raccoons couldn't have gotten here already. There's no fecal matter. You know, from the anus. Hey, I see something there th through the window. Look. Is it fecal matter? No, it's a wooden box. That's probably where they keep our candy. Whose house is this? The sign says the mortuaries. Well, I mean, we can't just go in. As vampires, we need to be invited in. But more importantly, that's just plain rude. Yeah, well, I guess we'll just never eat candy again. Thanks. Unless suddenly this door just... I'm torn. Come on, let's go. All right, I'm not torn anymore. Why are there jars of formaldehyde everywhere? It keeps the candy fresh. Why are there flowers on top of the candy box? It keeps the candy fresh. Well, why are- What do I have to explain to you about fresh candy? Greg, I think this is a c c c casket A casket? No, you casket! <laughs> all right, let's open the candy box. Okay, it's pretty heavy, though. We're gonna have to use all 12 hands. Oh, we're also six-handed monsters. Stop narrating. <gasps> God, what are we about to see? You need eat. Ah, spring-loaded snakes. What the hell kind of treat or trick is this? Well, maybe the candy's in this here drawer. More snakes. Maybe they're keeping them fresh in the refrigerator. What? What is this? Less snakes, more snacks. Hmm, must be in the freezer then. Ah, I got snakes in my eyes. Turn the lights on. I'll flip the switch. Ah, now there's a snake in my boot. Get the shoe off of me. All right, I got it. 
Well, we knew that one was coming. Ah, let's get out of here. Give me the car keys. Let me get him out of this here pocket. <laughs> I'm scared. Call 911. Okay. 911, what's your emergency? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to drink this formaldehyde and kill myself. Now to unscrew the lid. Stop narrating. No, we got to Let's get to the car. <gasps> Wait. Maybe the candy's in this here jack-in-the-box. Needless to say, more snakes. Keep running. <laughs> There's something stuck in the engine. What could that be? Uh, I'll go check. <sighs> Everything looks fine. There could be no wiper fluid. I'm gonna go check. Maybe, uh, maybe there's candy in here, huh? My heart. Greg, you're dying! Before I die, I want you to have my most cherished item. Is it valuable? It's got sentimental value mm. and financial value. Mm, what is it? Where is it? It's in my... Oh, he fecaled. You're what, Greg? Is it in your lucky peanut brittle canister that you carry with you everywhere? No, not in there. Maybe it's in your jar of beer nuts. You never knew what those things were, but you always said they got you drunk, right, Greg? Rude. Well, time to open up these beer nuts. Nothing. Huh. I may not find it today, but I swear, Greg, I will spend the rest of my life trying to find your most cherished item, because I need money. And indeed he did. Daniel sought Greg's most cherished item until his dying day, which was six hours later, technically the next day. And it went a little something like this. My heart. For you see, my most cherished item was nothing tangible. It was in Daniel's heart all along. It was also snakes. Very tangible snakes. Oh, hello. Oh, nice to find you here again. I turned, I swiveled in my chair you to did. up to the microphone. You did like a 30 degree angle. <laughs> like your knees are in the same place. My neck is mostly cartilage. <laughs> I, can't, I can't move much. I thought it would add a bit of flair to these introductions. Did it work? So Tune flare? in to our December episode. This won't be addressed in November. We told you what November is going to be about, but December we might but talk December about December will be, does Daniel have flair? That's the big <laughs> question. First of all, we need to say our names. Hi, I'm Greg Gonzalez. Hi, I'm Daniel Zaffron. Welcome. <laughs> to wow. 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 Welcome to Los oh, Angeles Weekly. We realized that we never say our names and people don't know who we are because it's all about cachet. And it's this. all about branding. It's, it's it's all about Daniel's parents finally figuring out what he does. It's all about those brands I put on all those people and that cult I made. So that that's who we are. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if anyone I wonder Are we brothers? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Are we brothers? Let's go back a second. I was just wondering if people know us by name or just by Oh, that's LA. Oh, that's a that's weird that's laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Th yeah. Oh, that's the guy that edits. I can hear him editing as he walks down the street. <laughs> that's that guy who does three works worth of research. I could smell it on him. Anyway, what month is it? It's uh October. Happy Halloween. Das October. It's the month of Halloween. Before we get into that, let's talk about what we did last month. Oh, right, right. What did you do last month? Me and my girlfriend went to the Echo Park Lake and we rode the swans, oh. but at night. You we can rode, do that? Yeah, we rode night swans. They have a new thing where you... <laughs> you mean geese? No, they the, were ducks. The swans of the, the night. The gooses. Black swans. Da, 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 da. Um, they line it with LED lights, the shape of the swan, and oh, then you okay. can go out there at night. It's, that sounds terrifying. It, a little bit, because they're like, hey, don't get stuck in the, the weeds or the the barriers, or we're going to have to go get you. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. And there's a lot of times where there's <laughs> also like... Also, at night, they turn into real swans. We, don't feed them. It's weird, because we would turn, and 
and there's that big fountain at Park Lake, and we're like, well, we don't want to get wet because it's that's gross. Like in high school, we used to run the lake because we didn't have a field or anything because it's a small school in downtown. So we used, they used Your to school would take you to the lake. Mm-hmm. So we'd run laps around the Echo Park Lake, okay. and there's a part near Glendale Boulevard and Bellevue where like it's really wide and then it gets really narrow all of a sudden, and somebody in that transition fell into the lake. Mm-hmm. And they came out and they were just like brown sludge, just covered in brown sludge. And they they made them walk back to school. He came out like the T-1000 freezing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made him walk back to school. So That's I'm relaying disgusting. this message as our swan is drifting into the fountain. And it happened right here on a night just like this. <laughs> so we start pedaling, right? Like really, really hard to get away from it. And we're pedaling for a good like three to four minutes. We're like, we're safe now. We turn and we're even closer to the fountain. And there was a lot of near misses because like you, you get like... How it, many people are on these swans at night there was a good like 10 or 11 out there with us it's pretty nice though. it was it was very romantic you had downtown was it exhausting is it it's paddling i hate yeah. that because i've done that at balboa park oh, during yeah. the day it's not it might have been a no it wasn't i don't think i was in a swan it's like a dragon or something it was like a beaver it was a paddle kraken it's exhausting yeah like, it's, it's, it's really no it's workout no it's exhausting. It's no, not a little tired. Well, I'm pretty ripped, so we're pretty, we were like shaped I'm ripped differently. Ripped in the legs. Yeah, ripped in the legs. <laughs> like touched in the head, ripped in the legs. <laughs> Especially in that sludgy water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're mostly just paddling through trash. Was it expensive? It was like $11 for an hour per person. Worth it if you're looking for a date. And you'd be like, so what do you know about uh, Natalie Wood? And then the girl could be like, oh crap, I did it again, didn't I? I'm dating a guy who's obsessed with Robert Wagner. Here I am. I found myself on a boat with someone <laughs> who knows the full story of Natalie Wood. <laughs> yet again. I've done it once again. <laughs> and here I go, having a kill. Robert Wagner <laughs> and Christopher Walken one more time. One more time. <laughs> well, you know what my thing of the month is. What? Well, you might know because you printed out my papers for me and I'm sure you looked at all these juicy bits. I read I read it. I had no idea what you meant though. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. What what we've taken to doing because we went, we were in like Valley Village or something and there was a John's yeah. supermarket. Ugh. Well, we never, like we're never, we're never near a John's. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've only, I didn't even know there's a Ralph's. I just know Gelson's. Occasionally, I'll step into a Whole Foods just to see where the people are like. But yeah. for to, my to, everyday, to have them kiss the ring as I walk around. For my staples, I go to Bristol Farms. <laughs> but we were, we're like, let's go see what John's is all about. So we went in there, and Valley Village is like a you know Russian sort of area. Yeah. So it was tailored like to Russian people. Right. So there was like all these breads and cheeses and meats and like halva and all these desserts yeah. and stuff. Then it sort of became because then we were in Glendale a few days later. And we we're like, there's a John's. Let's go see what the Glendale mm-hmm. John's is like so we went in there and it's all this armenian meats and breads and cheeses and then but even like ralph's and stuff like that is kind of the same way like the ralph's in my neighborhood there's a lot of jewish people so there's a huge kosher section highland park has something similar to that too where it's mostly like latino yeah it tailors to the community of what they like that's my thing of the month is the tailored grocery selections for different neighborhoods with different communities i like that it's fun it's a lot of fun because you can get all these desserts that you can't get at other places or wouldn't know existed at other places Right. I got a like a pound of halva at the John's in Valley Village. It was great. You're taking it away from that community and they need that. <laughs> halva is mine now. <laughs> and I'm going to start selling it at Bristol Farms. I'm <laughs> making my own. I'm going to small batch my own halva. <laughs> I'm bringing it all the way north from Valley Village to Sherman Oaks or south, I guess. Feels like north because we're above them. That's my thing of the month. I love even like Super King markets or yeah. Vallarta supermarkets that have a specialized selection. Right. I enjoy being You're in. You're potlucking yourself. 
yourself. Yeah. You're making your own potluck. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have an horchata and I'm going to have yeah. a... Israeli horchata <laughs> also. <laughs> Which is turns out the same thing. They don't know it though. Don't tell them that they're don't making the same them. thing. But yeah, that that's my, my thing of the month. It's fun to do. And now that's become our new thing. If we're in a new, a different neighborhood and there's a John's, I'm going in that wow. John's. What a, what a fun date you are. <laughs> Let's go to the market. You don't like walking around John's? <laughs> I think the thing with John's with me is I thought it would be cheaper because I'm like, well, Vaughn's is expensive, but John's? And but, it's like, it's the same thing. That Yeah, that yeah. price-wise, I also know that Korean markets, that's another thing. But And then here's another thing about Korean markets. <laughs> oh, and India sweets and spices. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, So Vaughn's isn't related to John's. This is a Briars Dryers thing. It is. All over again. Oh, here he goes. Uh, working his noticed, material. Ever, uh, this is what I've been leaning up to. <laughs> you ever notice? No, uh, no. Nah, nah, you got to pay to hear that joke. $10 on Patreon, and I'll tell you that joke. I'll tell you one joke a month if you give me $10 on Patreon. Anyway, so that was, that was September for yeah. us. So now we're in October. It's Halloween time, so yeah. it's not our scary episode, but it's our Halloween spooky, spooky, spooky kind of adjacent episode. relation. Yeah, spooky adjacent. Spooky adjacent relation. What did I say? Um, oh, I didn't know that you rhymed on Q. Is that also a Patreon tier? <laughs> $20 a month and I'll rap for you once a month. I'll make one rhyme for you a month. John's Vons. Briar's Dryer. <laughs> it was your first two months free. <laughs> $20, I'll get you more. Yeah, it's spooky adjacent this month. Yeah. So we decided, why don't we cover graveyards? Rap. The graveyards. Boneyards. Did you say rap? <laughs> well, this well. is a story all about Johns. Oh my God. My life got flipped, turned upside Vons. <laughs> what? Yeah, we're going to be talking about graveyards. Yeah. Some of the bigger, we covered the two biggest in the city and then I have one other smaller one. We'll get into it of like all of the stories that we've talked about before, like all the people, like yeah. this is where they end up. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. It doesn't matter who you are, you're going to end up I in one of these places. I was trying to build a whole paragraph of everyone we talked to that ended up at mine and I'm like, I don't, just, just don't even... Yeah. Put the energy into well, the, remember and remember the, and remember and remember and remember. At the end, I have a thing of like, these are all the famous people and these are all the people we've talked about that are here. It's uh, just going to be hyperlinks. Yeah. And then you want to hit episode 13. To Click hear on this grave. Let's get it. Yeah. Let's get it going. Here's a new rap for me. Let's get it started in here. Um, Push it real good. That was scary. But now something not scary. A graveyard. <laughs> Let's get it going on my first one. You ready for this? Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Here's a new rap. <laughs> they say die in battle, live forever in Valhalla, but die as a character actor, be buried forever in Valhalla Memorial Park, because that's where we're going first. Valhalla Memorial Park. I've never heard of this memorial park you, before. You... You've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard, You've heard of, of it. this one. It's like a third of Burbank. Oh, no, it's Costco. Never mind. So this huge human dumping ground sitting on top of Burbank and North Hollywood started not there, but rather in an office building downtown by two shady people doing multiple shady things. Do you really not know where this place is? No. It's if you go... Do you really not know? Yeah, I don't know. Are wow. you really that Rude. stupid? <laughs> yeah, and you host this podcast with me, right? And you claim to be someone who frequents graveyards? Uh, a ghoul, ghoul grabber, as a you call? <laughs> There's a rhyme for you. No, that's not a rhyme. That's just two things that start with G. Yeah, that's a letter. $50 a month. Grigazols, Grigazols, Grigazols. It's like right next to the airport, but if you're at like where the Costco is, if you keep going down, what is that street that heads? Victory or Burbank? I think, Vic, I think Victory, the one that heads. That goes under by the dog shelter and the gun place and then comes back up. No, 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 not that one. It's that crazy intersection where the Costco's there and it shoots off in like five directions. It's Bur- okay, it's Burbank and then another street to the right. It's that other street to okay, the right. It's the one that heads west Chandler? deeper into the valley i don't know but if you keep going down that and you are getting to the north hollywood burbank border that's it it's a big cemetery i think I've, i think i know what you're talking about now i think when i was that do, do huge you really, rainstorm when you were at the what there was a huge rainstorm like three years oh, ago i thought when, you said i was at that huge meringue store 
I'm glad that you heard that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, this place, it was started by two financiers. Oh, named no. That's bad. John, John R. Osborne and C.C. Fitzpatrick. That's C.C., not C.C. See? Ah, there's a rhyme! <laughs> You're going to need to subscribe to my Patreon if you want more rhymes. Do you want my Venmo right now? Do you say Meringue Store? In March 1923, these two hucksters, they started the Osborne Fitzpatrick Company in the Pacific Mutual Building downtown and decided to get into the graveyard business with that company. So that same year, they bought 63, here's the street, 63 acres of land in Burbank at what is now 10621. Victory, Victory Boulevard. But it was then just that big open field next to the other big open field that they didn't put dead people in. And they just, Dead people this one. No <laughs> dead people in this weeds one. Weeds here. <laughs> the future goes here. They decided to name it Valhalla Memorial Park. So the problem was that far north in the city, it was nearly impossible to get to at the oh, time. at the time. At the time. Yeah, kind of still now. <laughs> Even if they had paved roads, which they didn't. So nobody was buying plots in their cemetery. Right. And this is when these two fraudsters showed the world just how fraudy they were. This is what they did. They hired hundreds of salesmen to sell plots in their cemetery, but their marketing tactic was to stress to people that the population of Los Angeles is going up and up. And a lot of these people are coming to the city for health reasons, and that means they're going to die soon (laughs) because of these health reasons. So because of that, burial plots are going to start becoming scarce in the city, and the prices are going to go way up for them. Where are you going to bury them? Anywhere else? Where are you going to bury them? In all this empty space? (laughs) Good luck getting a permit for that, because we don't have one. They were telling people that people were already being buried one on top of the other in the city and in eight years there won't be any space left in the entire city for new burials this was 1923 they were right yep there's gonna be a costco over there (laughs) keep going east and you'll hit the costco (laughs) there was no shortage for burial space especially not back then but they wanted to scare people into buying space in the cemetery or try to convince them that it was a good investment that they could resell for profit so they especially targeted old people who were not only close to need a plot in a cemetery, but also vulnerable to being manipulated. Yeah, but, but what? Old people. Old people. What can you do? Oh my Parents. God. But what's even worse than these scare tactics was that they weren't just selling burial plots to people under false pretenses. They were selling the same burial plot to oh. people under false pretenses. Whoa. So they would sell the same plot in the cemetery multiple times <sighs> to different people, sometimes as many as 16 times. It was like the producers. Yeah. We're going to turn you all into smoothies. So yeah, we can sell Pour one spot. Yeah, we're just going to pour you in. Osborne and Fitzpatrick made somewhere between 2 and $3 million doing this. And any salesman who questioned their tactics were either lied to or fired. But you can't fool soon-to-be-dead people forever. In early 1924, people who had bought plots started looking closer at what they bought. And not only did they find that they were double-booked, some people's plots turned out to be outside of the cemetery oh or in the middle of the yeah. lake. <laughs> where the swans go. Yeah, we're going to throw you in the lake. She'll just be floating there. Yeah, I know it's in some lady's apartment and you don't know her, but that's where you're going to end up and you need to pay money. Even then, you'll have to have a roommate in death. So they started banding together and got organized and in June 1924, the federal government launched an official investigation of Valhalla Memorial Park in Burbank. All the lies were brought to light and Osborne was forced to admit that he had no previous graveyard experience. I've seen one. I went to a funeral once. I I could run this. One of the sales guys was accused by an attorney of trimming an old lady of her life savings so he punched him and said I've never trimmed anyone in my life in December terms I know. Uh, he was a barber also in <laughs> December 1924 Osborne and Fitzpatrick were found guilty of 10 charges of mail fraud and were each fined $12,000 and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison before they started their sentence Osborne hired a personal valet named Jack Gordon and when they were staying at the Maryland Hotel in Pasadena Osborne went into the bathroom when he came out out 
Gordon was gone along with $100,000 worth of Osborne's money. It turned out Gordon's real name was Harold J. Whitaker, who was a wanted man in several states across the country. In January 26, he got arrested finally and sent back to LA and put in the county jail only to break out three months later. Wow. But back to Osborne and Fitzpatrick themselves. They had tried appealing their case to the Supreme Court, but they would not hear it. So in June 1927, the two were sent to Leavenworth Federal Prison in Kansas. While they were in jail, it just keeps on coming for this guy. Osborne's dad, John E. Osborne, took over Valhalla and took no salary and tried to make right his son's wrongs. But even from behind bars, Osborne kept screwing everything up. While he was in jail, he became friends with a former USC football player named George Meadows, a.k.a. Malicious Meadows. (laughs) There's a run. That's just two letters again. God darn it. It's alliterative. (laughs) O.J. Simpson was UCLA. No, he was USC. He was USC? Yeah. Well, this would have been a good name for him. Malicious Meadows was in there for selling stolen Liberty Bonds. And Osborne told Meadows all about his cemetery and how his dad was an honest man now trying to run it. So, of course, when Meadows got released, he went straight to Valhalla and tried to get his dad to help him with a Japanese colonization scheme in Mexico. No idea. No idea. But I, I bet it's malicious. It sounds mm, meadowy. <laughs> Osborne Sr., being the honest man he was, he said no. Then Meadows said, well, I know I have a lot of powerful people in the law, and I could get your son released early if you have the money for it. He even said that he had already met with President Calvin Coolidge to get his son released. Honest though he was, Osborne Sr. was also dumb. So he paid Meadows $23,000, who made off with the money only to be convicted on August 17, 1929, sent back to prison. In 1930... Um, you can always call Calvin Coolidge to get you out. Oh, no. Hello, Callie, it's me, Malicious Meadows. Malicious Meadows here for Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, oh. I'm president of the Alliteration Club. Yeah, that's me. President the president. President to president phone call, hello. <laughs> In 1930, Osborne and Fitzpatrick were released after serving only five years, and good old dad, he gave them both their jobs back at Valhalla, which... Honest. But dumb. This did not sit well with anybody who owned plots in the cemetery. So what followed were a series of lawsuits where people were suing to not have these two kids back in charge. Yeah. And the kids were suing them for slander. We what? served our time. We're not going to do it What again. are you basing your judgments on? A pattern of behavior based on us? A criminal word record? against ours. <laughs> this all culminated in September 1935 when Osborne Sr. shot himself in the garage. Wow. And the state forced the kids to sell the cemetery. Osborne Jr. went on to be a bookie who then exposed a corrupt cop gambling ring that was headquartered at Santa Monica and La Brea in 1961. Okay. I bet it was not heroic. I bet no, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk and I'll walk, right? There's a rhyme. <laughs> but back at the cemetery, it was a full 15 years from it, from, yeah, 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 the, from the states, yeah, before it got its name that we know it by today. And that name, Pierce Brothers. Pierce Brothers Valhalla Memorial Park oh, okay. is what it's known as today. But who were the Pierce Brothers? Dumb question. You should be asking, who were the Pierce Brothers brothers? <laughs> in 1880, William Pierce, who is a descendant of President Franklin Pierce came to LA from upstate New York and bought a farm where the USC hospital now is. That's where OJ Simpson... He buys gloves there. The gloves all fit. You must have quit. There's another (laughs) ride. Then in 1881, his brother Fred Pierce came and the two opened a stable at Alameda and 16th, moving people and cargo around the city using the livestock from their farm. So they're very successful, but they started realizing that some of their most lucrative work involved transporting dead people to graveyards because at that time, there were two undertakers in the city. So they could charge a lot so they decided let's become undertakers yeah. three and four. So now the Pierce brothers are undertakers. Okay. They became so successful they decided to take the undertaker business one step further, one step earlier and later, and started running their own ambulances to get dead people you, you, and an insurance company to insure dead people. Do you know where I thought you were going with this? 
this. Grape they diggers? started killing people and then burying them. Business is slow. <laughs> hmm. What's that future USC football player doing? <laughs> malicious Meadows? No. no the more no. malicious one. But here's the thing. There's two Pierce brothers. They kept the brothers coming. In all, there were eight Pierce brothers oh. running this business at different points, including one who became one of the few doctors in town and ended up at... He was delivering half the babies in the city. <laughs> one of the Pierce brothers. There was also Clarence, who in 1947 founded an agricultural college in Woodland Hills that he named oh, after himself kidding. Pierce College. You're kidding. That blew my mind. It was crazy. Um, That's it, cool because I'll bury dead bodies at Pierce College all the time. so cool. I've, I've left so many in the ground there. <laughs> what? 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 Good thing I was on that football team at Pierce. What? what? In 1902, the brothers upgraded their operations and moved to 8th and Flower with a full-on mortuary and chapel attached. But in 1924, they moved to their landmark location at 720 West Washington Boulevard, which is the first full-service funeral home in the city. To illustrate to you how much importance was placed here, it was designed by the same people who did the Chinese Theater, Culver Studios, and the Alex Theater in wow. Glendale. you know it looks like it. <laughs> did you get your ticket at the box office? <laughs> you could get everything you needed done for your dead loved ones there just short of burying them, which they had a trolley service running from them directly to cemeteries, complete with a dedicated funeral car. Okay. So they were, they were where you wanted to go. It was a ritzy place. And to try to dispel the stigma people had of mortuaries, they regularly gave tours to the public to show them that it wasn't a scary place. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Uh, for the purposes of an October episode, we needed to kind of be scary. So if you could scratch that, um, you might actually accidentally touch a scalpel. Yeah, there was, there's a spider in the corner. We saw Ooh. a bat once. We accidentally put a bat in somebody. <laughs> they were saying, you know, don't be afraid of this place, especially if you want to do your business here. Come to us. Well, that's neat. Its reputation was so well known that in 1935, Tallulah Bankhead and a bunch mm. of her friends got drunk and went down there in the middle of the night demanding a tour of the mortuary. Wow. Tallulah Bankhead. Love her. Another time, supposedly Errol Flynn stole. John Barrymore's corpse from the mortuary and took it to the Beverly Hills Hotel, but they claim that never happened. I don't know Errol Flynn enough to know if that is his kind of thing, but that's so funny. If that happened, yeah. any weekend that well, Bernie did? I think, I think they're... I don't know if he was like, I'm going to the Oscars with John Barrymore if it's the last thing I do. I think it was like, I, he was like, I wanted him to be at his own wake. So the story was that he brought him to his own wake and like put him in a um, chair. And <laughs> put sunglasses on him. What's that, John? Oh, John. So uh, what was it like? being in I can't think of a single John Barrymore movie what was it like giving birth to Drew no to Drew's mom (laughs) so what did happen though this is a sad story was one lady whose body went there she left all her money to her 30 cats and to pay for an orchestra to play for three nights while all her family and friends could come visit her corpse nobody came nobody came any of those three nights or to her funeral what were the cats what happened they were at the Beverly Hills Hotel for John Barrymore's (laughs) wake this place is still there but it's mostly boarded up it's been a LA historic landmark since 1993 throughout the 40s the Pierce brothers started buying up smaller mortuaries around town they even bought W.A. Brown and Son who claimed to have the largest casket display in the world so they were running 21 funeral homes and a crematorium but in 1950 they added the last piece of their monopoly puzzle and bought the still for sale Valhalla Memorial Park renaming it Pierce Brothers Valhalla Memorial Park. There aren't too many celebrities buried here that are people that we know. Most of them are people you've probably seen. They should just put headshots on all of these (laughs) things because you've probably seen these people in like every TV show from the 50s and 60s. Like the entire cast of Andy Griffith that isn't Andy Griffith or Donuts. All of Mayberry is there. (laughs) (laughs) Floyd the Barber. (laughs) You step on a thing and they come out of the grave. Oh, I remember him. So a few of the standouts, I can't believe it. Annette Corsout, aka Helen Crump from Andy Griffith. Yeah, she's buried there. Cliff Edwards, who's the voice of Jiminy Cricket. 
Okay. Bud Westmore. I know that name. Look up Bud Westmore. And we're back. Who's <laughs> Bud Westmore? I think he might be a makeup guy, actually. Oh, because they just did a giant... Dana Gould just did a big episode about how he's a fraud and... Uh, oh, really? Well, egg on my face. <laughs> Millicent Patrick was the real designer of Creature of Black Lagoon. But oh, Bud yeah. Yeah, that's a whole thing right now. Yeah. It's a real thing right now. Just now. Um, <laughs> also, there's the wrestler Gorgeous George. Really? Yeah. A couple of our previous episode subjects, Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum. He's at Valhalla? He's at Valhalla. And of course, the amazing Criswell is also buried there by a landslide. The top celebrity there and really anywhere he would be close to the top. Oliver Hardy is buried in Valhalla. Really? Yeah. That's the top dog, yeah. And he is top because he's buried with 16 other people. <laughs> the most iconic part of the cemetery, however, is what is now known as the Portal of the Folded Wings. I'm sure you've seen pictures of this. It was designed by Kenneth McDonald Jr. and Federico Giorgi, who is the same guy who did all those giant elephants and lions in the movie Intolerance, which are now the things right, in, in um, Hollywood and Highland right. complex. I wonder if there will ever be a disorder known as the Hollywood and Highland complex. <laughs> the, you that, dress up as a superhero. Yeah, that would if you yeah. can't stop dressing up as a superhero, <laughs> a dirty superhero. Asking you've got Hollywood for, and Highland complex. Asking for two dollars every time you take a picture with somebody that you love. Ooh, I'm sorry, but he has Hollywood and Highland complex. <laughs> Not the elephants by Federico Giorgi. <laughs> so it was dedicated March 1st, 1925, and was the it was the original entrance to the cemetery. I know you've seen pictures of it. Yeah. It's kind of it kind of looks like you know how the stuff in Balboa Park in San Diego looks, where it's like kind of Spanish revival. Right, right, right. It kind of looks like a dome of that okay i'm sure you've seen it have i said that already so you would drive through this thing to get inside you would That's drive under neat. it it's 78 feet tall and until the 40s it was the tallest thing in burbank it's like nine feet tall they're like whoa Dude, oh my a God. skyscraper what's the skyscraper supposedly pilots would use it as a signpost to where the burbank airport was because it was right next to it it was the only really beautiful part of the cemetery so in the 20s and 30s they'd use it to hold concerts and do radio okay. broadcasts from eventually as the landscape of burbank changed the entrance to the cemetery moved onto a more convenient street so the portal lost its purpose, but it was so nice that they wanted to do something with it. So they realized the airport's right here. Burbank has a lot of aviation history. Let's just make it a monument to aviation now. That's fair. <laughs> it's the portal of the folded wings. And I know it's an aviation thing. And I look at it, I'm like, hey, I kind of see the airplanes. There's nothing airplane about it. It was designed way before the airplane. <laughs> On December 17th, 1953, which was the 50th anniversary of powered flight was that day. Okay. It was rededicated as the portal of the folded wings shrine to aviation. I bet there was somebody's like, now it's about planes. And people were like, yay. It was dedicated in honor of the pioneers of flight and the opening ceremony there were all these pioneers there one of the people is the guy who built the motor for the wright brothers plane was at the ceremony for this thing <laughs> sitting in burbank going like yeah i kind of get Trying it to try. yeah i kind of get it <laughs> where's oliver hardy berry <laughs> where's helen crumb's grave where's that lady from that show that just came out grave? <laughs> since then it's grown to have a replica of the columbia space shuttle in front of it it also has a museum inside that's occasionally open apparently on july 18th 1969 the craziest thing to ever happen happened to it when a small plane took off from burbank airport and crashed into it oh my. killed two people oh. crashed into a portal of a aviation in a graveyard this thing is now on their national register of historic places so it's national treasure sort of that you've never seen the pierce brothers time at this place though at the cemetery they didn't even last a decade when they sold it in 1959 to a guy named joe albritton who sold off 20 acres of it to developers they haven't owned that place in 60 years but it still keeps the name pierce brothers but that same year that they sold it they went and bought the westwood village memorial park okay. which has a ton of celebrities in it we'll yeah. get to that never after this 
kind of the biggest thing to happen was in 1971, they merged with the cemetery that had been next door since 1928, Blessed Hope Memorial Park, which was the official cemetery of Amy Semple McPherson. Really? It was a small 14 acre thing, but it was for members of the Foursquare Gospel Church only with a big crypt in the middle that was meant to house McPherson when she died. And the closer that you were to her, the more it would cost you. So plots there were sold in the lobby of her church with the slogan, go up with Amy. It was a disaster. And she (laughs) she lost a ton of money on it, which is why she's actually buried in the next place I'm going to be talking about. Here's a weird thing. In the early 80s, they put in a vault that housed 16,500 aborted fetuses that were found in the home of a former medical lab person in Woodland Hills. He, He like took home aborted fetuses. Wow. And they found it. It was a whole controversy. Wow. It was a whole political thing. Yeah. And they're like, we'll, we'll take them in. And people are like, don't bury those things. Dude. Don't bury them. Uh, we'll, we'll keep them in a safety deposit box. See, talk about overselling a plot. <laughs> Try sharing it with 16,499 others. <laughs> so let's finish this up. 1991, they were bought by Service Corps International. That is where I lay this story to the end. So that's Valhalla. That's very interesting. A lot of... Yeah, when I was going into it, I was like, well, there's not as many famous people as I thought what's going to be interesting. And I was like, oh, it was founded by criminals. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, that story has uh, a lot of similarities to my cemetery. I'm going to be talking about Hollywood Forever Cemetery right there smack dab in Hollywood. All right, to start us off, let's rattle off some of the famous folks who are remembered at Hollywood. Huh, so Forever you're going Center. into it at the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. I want to I give you a little teaser because I, I didn't know how to fit it in later. First, <laughs> First off, I'm not a good enough writer. My, uh, what, what? What was that last part? First off, Myla Nurmi, or as we all know her, Vampira is mm. buried there. Right behind her, the actor who played Kolchak the Night Soccer, Darren McGavin. Always trying to find her till Always the very her. end. Mm-hmm. Almost Always got her. <laughs> Johnny Ramone has a beautiful statue yeah, of him. Yeah, that's weird. Played. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Beautiful statue sits on top of his tombstone. It's such a nice statue, it makes you forget that I don't like Johnny Ramone. It's more <laughs> of a Joey boy. Toto the Dog is memorialized there. That's true, but we know where he's really buried. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Mal Blanc, the man of a thousand voices, most of which you've heard in Looney Tunes, he's buried there. Alfalfa himself, Carl Switzer, is buried there. Is that uh, the one who got killed? Look up that guy's death if you want to hear the most quintessential <laughs> child actor story. Yeah. That we'll cover in another yeah. episode. Oh, 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 won't we? Florence Lawrence, which is a great name. It's also <laughs> the first official movie star that's, of Hollywood. That's kind of a rhyme. Yeah, no, it's for sure, right? The first Hollywood. Hmm. That's what that in, in an article. That's what his tombstone says. Or hers. A woman movie star. Oh, that was Florence Kamalore. What, what, what is this? The other offensive thing I said before? <laughs> I don't even remember. Hubba Hubba Jane Mansfield is there. Don Adams of Get Ooh, Smart these is are there. All, these are sad stories. Yeah, Mar- Marion Davies is in a mausoleum. You'll find Tyrone Power. Nelson Eddy is there. Douglas Fairbanks has a sarcophagus in front of a large white wall along the 120-foot-long reflecting pool, which is called the Fairbanks. Mickey Rooney is there because he died once. Peter Laurie is there. Rudolph Valentino is famously there and he is stalked by the woman in black. John Houston is kept there. Lana Clarkson, who was murdered by Phil Spector, rests at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Elmo Lincoln, the first Tarzan, rests there. Bugsy Siegel, the gangster who almost killed Goebbels, is there. Really? Yeah. Bob Guccione, the founder of Penthouse, is there. <laughs> Golden Girl Estelle Getty is there. Judy Garland was moved there from yeah, New recently. York recently. Paul Mooney, the gangster actor, is there. Anton Yelchin, Tony Scott, Chris Cornell, and amongst them, regular folk of a wide assortment of cultural and ethnic backgrounds so closely buried to one another, it's as if the stars of today and yesterday were simple people too. <laughs> Celebrities, they die just like us. Their bones are just like ours. Except for Judy Garland's, they sparkle. <laughs> They're all red and twinkly. We don't know what was wrong with her. This is the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. My story is called 
don't hit the peacocks with your car. <laughs> I've almost or died. or <laughs> I use a lot of different sources and web pages for this. <laughs> That's the peacocks. I never almost hit a peacock there, but when I was at the arboretum, I didn't go in. Arboretum, I was, arboretum, whatever. The beretta. I, dude, I've pronounced that so many different ways and been corrected in so many different ways. The arbitrarium. <laughs> the arbitrarium. I've never been so mad at a peacock because I'm like, I know you're beautiful. You're in the parking space. There's only one left. Get out. For my research, I use like a lot of different sources and web pages for research, but the bulk of it comes from Hollywood Forever Cemetery: The Unauthorized Guy by Mark Masick. I got an article from Talent Magazine by Jacob Silverman. The title is a spoiler, so I don't want to say it. The Homestead Museum blog has a really great thing. Spoiler title for that one too but it was written by paul spitzeri so anybody needs my sources i have them all right we don't some people might people aren't gonna some call other- us out like all those other podcasts you're afraid of hey listen crime junkies is going down hard and that won't happen to me <laughs> you have to be high up to go down hard we can stumble yeah yeah we can get tripped hollywood forever cemetery was once long ago known as Hollywood Memorial Park Cemetery and was originally opened in 1899. It was and still is on Santa Monica Boulevard between Gower and Van Ness. Originally, it covered 100 acres, but as we'll learn, it's not anymore. It was originally developed by two Isaacs, Isaac Van Nuys and Isaac Lankersham. And you were there, Isaac Sepulveda? And Isaac Rinaldi? And Isaac Canoga? And Isaac Ventura? You were all there. These are all the street names in the valley for anyone who doesn't know. That's the joke there. Way back in 1869, <laughs> Isaac Lankersham bought a pretty big portion of Mission San Fernando from Andres Pico for a hundred fifteen thousand dollars are you trying to tell me that this story starts in the valley the two men got famous for their work in the valley obviously Hmm. you think i like to start in the san fernando valley we all start in the san fernando valley we were all born there were were, were we all born in woodland hills kaiser the cesspool okay is in san fernando valley we all came from it the primordial goop (laughs) we all crawled out of it right right greg say right okay so he bought a large part of the southern valley from andres pico for one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. he quickly filled that land with sheep it said up to 40,000 sheep, which the is... peacocks of the exactly. 1800s. 40,000 sheep, which is certainly more sheep than I have. I only have the two. Later with his son, John, and his son-in-law, Isaac Newton Van Nuys, they formed the San Fernando Farm Association. And together, these men cultivate about 60,000 acres of wheat in parts of the San Fernando Valley in the 1870s and 1880s during what was described in my Los Angeles Encyclopedia as a wheat-raising craze. <laughs> We were all doing it. <laughs> Dancing the wheat chaff. Let's you know, harvest again like we did last harvest season. <laughs> no. These men are... I have bursitis. These men are a few of the early fathers of the San Fernando Valley. Lancashire Boulevard obviously runs through North Hollywood and Van Nuys. Is, you could take it up to Valhalla. You probably could. You're you right. T- you take it you up t- to Valhalla. Yeah, you take that up with Valhalla. I'm surprised you didn't make a single Thor reference that whole time I was telling that story. I know you love that guy. Isn't that... Hitler's bunker or was that the Eagle's Nest? Wasn't it Valhalla? The Eagle's Nest was his like castle oh, thing okay. on the mountaintop. Maybe Valhalla was his bunker. Did he have a name for the bunker? I mean, that was kind of a secret bunker. Secret Valhalla. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to make a Nazi joke the whole time and I couldn't remember. So well, I was you should, there should have stuck with Thor. You know him better. He's been through a lot. Okay. Uh, you know you were in the Thor youth. It's You're a, funny. It's, it's a Thor subject. Oh, no, wow. That's $70 on Patreon. <laughs> You're going to have to Venmo me right now before you continue. That, that one cannot go on <laughs> without money in my Venmo account. Lancashire runs through most of the valley from like mm-hmm. one edge to the other, basically. Yeah, it's one of those. And Van Nuys is one of those areas where I don't like to park my car. Sales from Great ag- Johns, though. <laughs> Sales from agriculture and also other land holdings during one of the first population booms the city saw meant that the men were on the wealthier side of society. Even though the 1890s, there was... I read something saying in the 1890s, there was around 12 
1,200 squatters on the company's land and it drove down stocks, which is pretty funny. But despite this, they were still pretty wealthy. So the Isaacs are buying lands and developing them and they buy a plot of land in Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard and set it aside as a memorial park. The 100 acres the Isaacs bought was also a wheat field, which goes what to show- What year was this? 1899. So the 100 acres the Isaacs bought was also a wheat field, which goes to show you wheat raising craze. Also, the early days of Los Angeles was just like settlers of Catan for rich white people. Like you have wheat, wheat I'll buy wheat. I don't know how to play. I assume that's how you play. It's all about wheat. Yeah. Anyways, they buy the acreage from John- Wheat, Tru wheat, don't tell me. $80. $80. Give me right now. That's what everyone would listen to back then. They had to go around they're, in a trolley were, and- <laughs> They're pea pods. That's the sound of them cranking a, uh, what are they You're called? You're doing one thing. I'm talking about pea podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> John Truman Gower. Heard of him? They bought the acreage from him. A last name you might recognize because the street that runs through Hollywood and along the acreage is Gower. Gower Gulch. Gower Gulch, where all the cowboy actors hang out. <laughs> when he came to Los Angeles in 1869, he took up a government claim for 160 acres that would later become parts of South Hollywood. The Isaacs bought this land in 1899, but the park wouldn't open officially in 1901, where the first burial of the park took place in April of that year for Mrs. T.W. Price. What movie was she in? <laughs> what bit part did she play? And Andy Griffith. Mrs. Apple Pison. <laughs> I couldn't find much online about the early running years of Hollywood Memorial Cemetery, but the next step in the history of Hollywood Memorial comes during the next population boom in the 1920s when 40 acres of the southern portion of the cemetery were sold to RKO Studios, which still stands today as Paramount Studios. Yeah, it's so weird that, well, here's the edge of the cemetery and they're filming uh, Mission Impossible right there. <laughs> yeah, you might see Tom Cruise climb inside of the building. Yeah, he's he's going to rappel into an open grave. <laughs> I'll get into it, but it's it's a very Hollywood cemetery. Yeah. Uh, around this time. Forever. Forever. And it forever will be. Oh, I meant to say that at the end of your story. Go on. Save it. Around this time, a section of the park was established as a sister cemetery on the same grounds, which was the only Jewish burial ground in the Hollywood at the time, the Beth Olam Cemetery. Mm. It was created to accommodate traditional Jewish burials. Later, mausoleums were added, the Hall of Solomon, the Hall of David, and the Garden of David. That's um, right. You were asking me about Jewish burials yeah. the other day. I'm like, hey, if I bury you right now, what's what different? What are we going to need? We're going to wash you. Uh, we're going to leave you for a couple of days. We're not going to put any chemicals in your veins. In yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're not going to cleanse your body with pork or any. <laughs> formaldehyde can we at least put the traditional catholic shellfish in your ears can we not put shrimp around your nose you keep going can we not put hamburgers on one foot and cheese on the other foot can we not put groucho marx glasses on you when you're buried <laughs> well that you can do <laughs> that's the one thing you can do it's a little extra but you can do it instead of putting pennies on your eyes you put groucho marx glasses on <laughs> welcome to judaism <laughs> virginia rap okay so we're gonna cover some did someone say rap my virginia rap Who's she? <laughs> One come are some of the famous people that died in this era. Virginia Rapp, the victim of a sexual assault allegedly at the hands of Fetty yikes. Arbuckle, oh, was buried there in Double 1921 yikes. after the insane events of a Labor Day party where she died. It's a little too gruesome to cover another here. But we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll save it for another time when it is appropriate somehow. Probably the same episode as Alfalfa. William Taylor Desmond, an actor and director who was mysteriously murdered, was interred here as well in 1922. Also buried there in 1919 was our old crazy pal Griffith J. Griffith and Grumpy himself. Harrison Gray Otis is buried at Hollywood Memorial. Huh. So those, that's where they went. Because yeah. I was like, I have these guys. Where I'll yeah. trade you. I'll trade you. You want to trade? <laughs> I'll trade you William Wrigley Jr. for William Mulholland. <laughs> Bad trade. Yeah, 1926 is when Rudolph Valentino gets there. He seems to be the star of Hollywood forever. Yeah, it's weird. I think because of the woman in black. Yeah. It must have really. I mean, it's still like him. It's still. Clear, it's clearly the vampire. The place where I buy Goldleaf is across the street. And I had just the night before watched Cold Trick the Night Soccer. So I wanted to visit Darren McGavin and also say hi to Vampire. And they're right next to each other. And so I, you know, I cross the street and I'm 
walking over and there's just a sad girl taking pictures of herself in front of Vampira's plot. I'm like, I'll, I'm like, I'll give it 10 minutes. I'm going to walk around. 10 minutes later, she's still there. Hollywood. Vampire, you're not smiling. Vampire, answer me. The 20s and 30s, the cemetery became a burial place for a multicultural community of Los Angeles with a heavy concentration of Russian Jewish people. That, that's because I haven't been there many times, but when I when I got there, I'm like, everybody here is Russian. Like, who are all these people? Who, what are all, who are these Russians? We're being invaded again. <laughs> what are all these shiny tombstones with people's faces on them? Incredibly recreated faces where yeah, I'm like, this yeah. is it's, eerie. It's, it's, it is eerie. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it was weird that there was so many. Yeah, there's a big concentration. I think it was the area or the neighborhood yeah. around it, I think. It's just like John's. Cemeteries are a lot like John's. Cemeteries are a lot like John's. You're right. The John's and that I can taste a little bit of everything. And nobody stops me because I have money. <laughs> I have money. I'm there after the gates have closed. So yeah, 1920s to 30s, you have a lot of the multicultural community there, Hollywood stars, and names familiar to LA history. And that's like the, the idea of it starting to solidify. But just as the Great Depression was rough on the country, the 1930s was a decade of decline for the Hollywood Memorial Cemetery as Forest Lawn grew in prominence. We'll learn later. Maybe. I don't know. Um, there was a significant drop in burial services around this time. Also around this time, the thick stone wall was built around the grounds after complaints were filed from trolley passengers who were annoyed had seen tombstones on the route <laughs> maybe people in the 30s How dare they? i'm trying to get to the job i hate <laughs> i'm trying to spend the entire paycheck on getting drunk so i can beat my wife and kids maybe people in the 30s deserve the depression um, ownership changed hands a few times after that but in 1939 it landed in the hands of a man named jules roth a man as suave and debonair as his name and if you're thinking that's the kind of name issued to a man who would be a character in boardwalk empire you know a crook or a mobster you were far off uh, for years, roth for roth oh my god are you gonna do this the entire time i get paid to do this <laughs> this is my income okay i'm getting married soon two years earlier jules roth was released from san quentin state prison for grand theft and securities fraud how come surely this guy i've never heard of is innocent right you rube no one is innocent 1920s and 1940s los angeles the story of roth's time in san quentin begins with a figure of old la crime history that we have never touched on a man with a lady name courtney c julian so he went by cc julian not cc huh, which that's is what you wrote down earlier yeah, did you like that <laughs> yeah pretty cool guy it's alliteration now it's also a callback meeklings will remember <laughs> Two favorite things. Yeah. Meeklings will remember that in the 1920s, we were going through a huge oil boom in the region that was making regular guys into millionaires. Think mm -hmm. about like Doheny mm -hmm. in 1897 struck oil in LA and then he becomes Grayson Manor himself, <laughs> Doheny. He gets some sort of Beauty and the Beast curse and he, unless he can find <laughs> true love, he becomes a mansion. Destined to kill his son over and over and over and over and over and over. Okay, anyways, 20 some years later, it reached the peak with hundreds and hundreds of oil derricks destroying the postcard-esque landscapes of Los Angeles. Back to CC, Julian comes in from Canada and is like, all right, I want to be a millionaire, but I want to get my suits all oily. How do I do this? Well, he decided to take advantage of the oil speculators and investors. He put ads in the city papers asking people to help him come up with $175,000 to drill on a spot he was certain was going to gush. This one looks juicy. Juicy. I stepped on it. My shoes are all oily now. And I'm like, am I Jed Clompett? Am I Jeddery Clompett? <laughs> Doth I Jeddery Clompett? He's buried in. Not him, but his family is buried at Bell <laughs> So he's certain. This spot, it's it's gonna gush and i'm gonna take all those investors yeah, with me i can feel it i it's can throb it. it the ad said the investments in this petroleum company which was the julian petroleum would rival all of the big oil companies in town these sort of ads they worked and they worked well and now he had an oil company i was actively drilling if that's what you mean by it working but he was not coming up with any big oil gusher that everyone was hoping for but it seems like no one told julian because by the mid-20s just in time for the jazz age julian was living like a celebrity but he was not alone in this scheme the vice president of julian petroleum and his right hand man was Jules Roth, who fell in love 
Oh, sorry. Who fell in with CC Julian pretty <laughs> early on. Two separate things. <laughs> That's a different story. That's a different story. That's a little hush-hush. These two guys partied hard and lived like there would be... Well, they were in love. They lived like there would always be money. How does that story turn out? And just like that, it started to come apart. And in so many words, because I've only read internet articles and haven't seen the raw data, to sum everything up, the financial ledgers made no sense. The sock reports were gibberish. Julian didn't have a license to sell securities for his oil company, and the public pressure from investors was heating up. By this point, his scam had racked up $150 million amongst 40,000 investors. Funny enough, 40,000 was also the number of shink that Lancashire raised in the valley. And that's the recipe for a joke that is too easy to touch. $150 million, which in those days would buy the Earth's core. I don't know why I wrote that. One night in 1924, Roth came by Julian. You think you can make money on Patreon like me, can't, don't you? I need to pay my babies. My babies. They, they don't want, eat food. They, they, want, they want a laugh. They, they eat want particle board every night. My babies, they eat Patreon accounts. <laughs> One night in 1924, Roth came by Julian's place and someone fired three shots through a window almost killing them. Julian was ousted from his company, which later just collapsed and he went on the run to Shanghai where he quickly blew through all his, whatever money he had left, he blew through it. In 1934, he killed himself. Back in LA, the scandal spread as well. The district attorney was sentenced to jail for bribery. A lawyer named Motley Flint, who helped in the scheme, was testifying on a That's different not trial. A lawyer's name. This guy's a con artist too. Come on, Motley, <laughs> Motley Flint. Flint. He helped in the scheme, and he's testifying, but on a different trial. And an investor who lost thirty-five thousand dollars in the oil scheme came into open court and shot him. What? Yeah. Into he walked into the into court, open court wow. and shot motley flint and he probably got off for it we everyone's like prove it yeah <laughs> the jurors like we, he was guilty anyways i mean it's his word against ours <laughs> we didn't even see it he gets shot and the judge is like order order i'll allow it <laughs> but i want to see where you're going with this and <laughs> this whole escapade is known as the great los angeles swindle and there's a book by that name by jules teigl on the entire thing which i'm dying to read now after doing hmm. it. anyways it's 1932 now and jules roth is on the run in canada on 39 criminal counts he gets arrested in winnipeg goes to trial and manages to escape through a torment for the jurors but is later found in New York and then extradited to Los Angeles where he I think I counted 13 <laughs> no nah. it's not me <laughs> no, no no he's on like a pedal plane yeah. what are you talking a boot a boot oh sorry he's extradited back to Los Angeles after he's caught in New York and he's convicted of 29 of those 39 counts and he's sentenced to 9 to 95 years in San Quentin well it's closer to 9 because he only served 5 years of it <laughs> then is released and this is where we left off Jules Roth former vice president of Julian yeah. Petroleum a company that racked up in one of the greatest and most damaging skews in LA history is now the owner of Hollywood Memorial Cemetery, the place where his parents had been buried. And it goes great. People who own cemeteries are like, they must just be so focused on dead people that they don't understand like, this guy's a criminal. Why are you hiring him? that's true. <laughs> I brought it up to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, like there's a lot of crooked people behind cemeteries. You know, like, is that a thing? My next one, yeah, the next, this weird. We're on to them. We've cracked the case. We've cracked the case. This is our cereal, which is how I refer to my bread. As in our money. I'm going to bring home the cereal for Melissa finally. Let's go out there and get the cereal. Let's earn some cereal. Cereals for closers. <laughs> Has Jules Roth been reformed? Tune in now. Also, no. how, also, how did he manage to buy a cemetery two years after coming out of prison? I don't know, but he bought out all the shareholders of his <laughs> private company that had probably crooked stuff. He probably just like held up a Piggly Wiggly and was like, uh -huh. okay, well, I'll have the money to buy a cemetery now. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this guy. He ran the cemetery for, I think, like six decades and just, just know he lived lavishly while the grounds of Hollywood Memorial went unkept. Mm -hmm. First off, they had to build that wall, right? That stone wall. So trolley riders. Telling me. 
2020. They had to build that stone wall so trolley riders wouldn't have to be reminded of their own demise. While Roth had to try to make the money back and get the cemetery making money again. So he transferred some of the property that was outside of the wall to a holding company and tried to sell it to commercial businesses. But that didn't really pan out because of the zoning laws. So it sat there until 1984 when it got sold. And now it's that strip of auto businesses and a little Caesars right there. Which is why there's a beautiful old cemetery shares a block with Little Caesars. And a Little Caesars, yeah. There's another story about this little... I like how you love Little Caesars so much. You won't even admit that it's a blemish on the face of a cemetery. Hey. Unless this is a Catholic tradition, you leave pizzas on people's graves. I'm going to go visit grandma. And I want to have a pizza because we used to eat pizza together. And she used to love Little Caesars because I just run over there. Guess what? I could buy 10 of them for a dollar. I just have to walk around the stone wall. 10 minutes this way, 10 minutes back, 10 minutes... It's 40 minutes later. Me and grandma are having pizza. Just like old times. The cemetery suffered because people weren't having their family members buried there. And they weren't because they couldn't. Because under Roth's reign, Memorial Park was segregated. But one of the bigger, most notable strikes was against Hattie McDaniels. One of the right. stars of Gone with the Wind, with a pro- who was a prominent Angelino, was refused a plot at Hollywood Memorial. It, like every single place she turned in life or death, it was like, nope, not nope. here. <laughs> no, not in this era. Along with that sort of stuff, he kept daily reports on all of his employees. He collected porno postcards from all around the world. His, he must have had a Patreon account. He must have had a Patreon account. He was just sending it to fans. His <laughs> office was equipped with a wet bar. He had a 103-foot... You're going to say Ilda Boat? You're such a virgin. Um, <laughs> He had a 103-foot yacht named the Queen of Sheba, which he argued was for scattering the ashes of the dead so he can claim it in his Ew. taxes. But everyone knew it was a party boat for mistresses. On this yacht, he was said to gracefully take ashes of loved ones out to sea. It's said that the employees found several urns in his office that were supposed to be have been scattered in the Pacific. By the With way... White ash. A lot of white, oh, valuable ash. Of, it, he kept them in baggies. And he had a spoon in it, too. And a it, little he had a George Lopez DVD with these, these ashes lined up perfectly. Ask me about that memory. By the way, it's said that eventually he sold the corner part of that land, the, the auto businesses, because the IRS got wind of this yacht debacle and he had to pay this. Usually pay wind up. is good for a yacht. Not this time because of the back taxes and it didn't pan out. He had to sell that part of the thing to pay off this yacht. The guy continued partying hard as if it was still the Julian Petroleum days. And all the while, the cemetery was crumbling. You know, the lawn went unattended and no one on the outside knew where the money was going, if not groundskeeping. Even in this, I read this 1988 LA Times article by Ron Russell. It was about the decaying cemetery and it shows the money was being mismanaged. And Roth was, of course, declined to say how much was spent on maintenance. To paraphrase, all the cemeteries are required to invest a portion of their earnings in an endowment care fund and to spend the interest in upkeep. But the cemetery board doesn't have the authority to impose sanctions against ill-kempt cemeteries. So records show of the $1.7 million endowment, over 143000 was to go to upkeep. Roth was siphoning this money for himself. On top of the yachts and the parties and the wet bars, he would buy he art. Like a beautiful lawn. <laughs> he had a jungle growing in his backyard. He would buy art and sculptures for the cemetery, but keep the best pieces for himself to be kept in his Hollywood Hills home. It was also said in the unauthorized guide to Hollywood Forever that Roth was considering drilling for oil on the property, which shows how deep his greed was to be figuratively get, and literally robbing graves and still trying to find ways to cash in. We're going to drill straight through Tyrone Power. <laughs> I know there's oil down there. Right underneath him. We could take his body out, but I think that if it goes no. through Tyrone Power... I think Power, it's good luck. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's good luck if it goes through his ribcage. If you think he wouldn't be so crass to have an oil derrick on cemetery grounds, remember that it shares a block with a strip mall, so <laughs> obviously not. And a little Caesar. And a little Caesar. You know, um, how dare you? You know, I out of your face. At this point, the only real money the cemetery was making was when families were having their loved ones removed and taken to better <laughs> 
grounds. If you remember, Max Factor was one of those where he was he was taken out and moved to a better ground. I can't remember where. That's how Hollywood Memorial was. People were angry. Some people felt humiliated that their loved ones were surrounded by a foot tall grass. The roads in the cemetery were covered in potholes. The grass was tall. The windows of the mausoleum were dirty and rusty or broken. The reflecting pool in front of Douglas Fairbanks Memorial. He's buried there. That was like murky and gross. It looked like Echo Park. Take that. You put down the valley before. How does it feel Choke now? on this. Choke on this. <laughs> you come after Little Caesars and I say nothing. <laughs> there was graffiti on Cecil DeMille's tomb. By the way, Cecil DeMille is buried there. The last person to be cremated there was reportedly Mama Cass of the Mamas and Papas. Really? And apparently in the old crematory, the bricks were so old and crumbly that they collapsed on her body as she was being <laughs> cremated. Oh, oh yeah, Mama Cass is buried there. God. You thought wow. the way she died was embarrassing. You thought the way she lived and was treated <laughs> was embarrassing. Wait till you hear about her death and subsequent cremation. <laughs> My God. That's really sad. Yeah. One night, vandals toppled 114 tombstones. Another time, <laughs> another time, thieves stole an entire stained glass window. In the 80s, the decomposing head of a woman was stolen from Ugh. a crypt and found underneath a parked car outside of cemetery grounds. Here's a weird thing that happened. In the 1950s, a guy went to his wife's, his first wife's grave there on the grounds under a cedar tree and killed himself by inhaling carbon monoxide from a cylinder in a briefcase. What? That's neither Roth's fault nor a sign of decay in the property. <laughs> it was just like a weird thing that was spooky that How I How could that work? No idea. He had a, a canister filled with carbon monoxide in but a briefcase. But like you're still out and maybe he like plugged his he nose must have or something. Yeah, he must have That's done that. horrifying. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> Anyways, Hollywood Memorial was Look, dying. Ho happy Halloween. Anyways, Hollywood Memorial was dying and the 1994 earthquake certainly didn't help it further damage the decaying mausoleums. All this about Roth, it wasn't discovered until after he died in 1998. I read in the unauthorized guide that he kept his past well-headed. It wasn't even brought up in the LA Times article about how the money was not going towards upkeep and they, they didn't know that he served in San Quentin. It was, Simpler times. It was revealed by state inspectors that Roth had illegally mixed money from Hollywood Memorial with another cemetery he operated and the money meant for the upkeep of both was obviously not going towards upkeep and they didn't even know the extent of it because the statute of limitations prevents auditors from looking back more than just a few years. How he got away with it for so long and so obviously I'll never know. He was buried at Hollywood Memorial with his parents but thankfully removed later. Sometimes crime does pay. <laughs> it's a real bummer. A year before his death when the Hollywood Cemetery Association filed for bankruptcy and the state inspectors first started catching wind of all this, they took a look at the finances. There was $1.8 million in cemetery maintenance fund. Cool. $2.3 million in debt. Oh boy. And the repairs were, would require upwards of $10 million. Oh no. <laughs> so the cemetery was obviously put up for auction and the highest bid was $275,000 and it won. Wait a minute. We could have bought. Okay. We could have we, bought. We could have pooled our finances and bought out in cash. In cash, obviously. Uh, half from me, half from you, obviously, because we're both sitting on whatever half of 275000 is. A number so high we can't even count to it. <laughs> it was such a sad cemetery. Figure. But like the bones of Tyrone Power are pretty expensive. That alone will cover it. Yeah, right? Auction the bodies off. Imagine. <laughs> Suddenly there's an influx of uh, Hollywood memorabilia after this graveyard was Authentic sold. Hollywood <laughs> memorabilia that if you wanted to bring a certain actor back from the dead, it was bought by a 28-year-old man from St. Louis whose family owned a mortuary chain. His name was Tyler Cassidy. And along with his brother Brent, they wanted to save Hollywood Memorial Park Cemetery. He began repairing the cemetery. He fixed the structural damage to the mausoleum. He had graffiti removed, weeds cut, new signs installed, potholes filled. He came in and saved the place. And when he was done, he renamed it the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Mm -hmm. 
What, what al- year was this? 1999, 1998. It seems like an older name. They also knew that they needed to repair the city's idea of the cemetery because I'll, let, I'll tell you this. In middle school, my bus went down Santa Monica Boulevard and I passed this place every weekday for three years and I really <laughs> didn't know what it was. Build a bigger wall. Have one tombstone outside so I know that there's a cemetery because I would have stared at it in middle school. Like I knew Forest Lawn, obviously. When I passed Evergreen, I knew it was pretty evident it's a graveyard, but I'd pass Hollywood Forever and I had no idea what it, it was like passing the Scientology Celebrity Center, which we also passed. I, I just thought it was a rich spooky stuff like i didn't know what it was so uh, i joined both of them in 1999 they had a cemetery added to the national register of historic places which was long overdue but it, so was everything necessary with this place cassidy also undid a wrong by offering to move hattie mcdaniel's remains to hollywood forever to honor her final request but her family decided against moving her remains there where Cass- is she i don't remember i didn't look that up mm. Racist. An- go uh, on. Another place. She never died. Uh, she decided to not die if she couldn't go there. Before. I'd rather live than die here. <laughs> How does she keep doing it? So Cassidy put up a four-foot-tall gray and pink granite memorial dedicated to McDaniels and invited the public to a dedication ceremony. The memorial piece has a quote from her great-nephew that reads, And Hattie, you were a credit to your craft, your race, and to your family. And, oh, the peacocks. Okay. I'm not sure where the peacocks became a fixture, but they could be seen roaming the grounds during the week, but they're locked up in a pen during the weekend. Someone on Reddit said it was because they often would shriek or snap at grieving visitors. I don't know if that's true. Take it for whatever Reddit is worth. I haven't read anything official about the peacocks, but I can assume because they symbolize resurrection and Christianity, I'm sure that that's why they're kept at Hollywood forever. That's what I read. In 2002, they began hosting movies and events there. That's when Synespia started. 2002, where they began showing movies on the side of the mausoleum. It was the plan of a guy named John Wyatt, and the first movie that shown there was Strangers on a Train. I've been to maybe three or four of these, and although it's annoying... And look, hey, side, sidebar. Listen, if I've been waiting in line, and me and my girlfriend have been sitting there in the sun for a couple hours, and we get to the we game, and we get through the gates and you're behind us and you run in front of us you're cheating okay that's not fair and i hope that you die in your way over there to that spot that should have been mine and they don't find your stupid thieving petty body for months oh it's a graveyard what do you yeah mean? he had oh i thought he was just chilling we found a dead body in a graveyard so what so what so what he couldn't afford to go underground we just left him on top it's once the movie it's Sounds kind of great. annoying it's kind of annoying sometimes but when the movie starts it's a lot of fun to be in a cemetery in the open air watching and stuff some people have mentioned that it might be disrespectful i can see that but at no point do the host make fun of the dead i don't feel like anything is disrespectful towards the grave sites you're not you're like not really amongst the you're obviously not sitting on a like a tombstone or something you're not like no. You, How is there that much open space, though? There, I mean, someone's sitting there's on a, a field tombstone. in front of the mausoleum that there's nothing there. There's spaces where there's nothing. But some, I mean, don't like 20,000, maybe not that much, but aren't there like thousands of people at yeah, these it, things? It's someone's got to be sitting on a tombstone. I don't think that they are. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I think that there's enough spaces where they're, I think like the middle section, there's like, it's so like dense, but I think that they control where people sit. I don't think that they would ever allow people to sit on a tombstone. Okay, because I did hear in terms of respectfulness, like they refused to show night of the living dead or that sort of thing yeah i think they did it one year then they stopped doing it oh okay yeah. so they they tried it they uh, they found like, the line cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't feel like anything is disrespectful I and mean, for the kind of person that goes to a grave and talks to a loved one and says sorry don't visit you much you can allow yourself to see this as like everyone sitting with your loved one and watching showgirls like you can, you can like this <laughs> grandma is a would have loved showgirls. Grandma loves showgirls the thing about the screens to me is that it rides the line between hollywood the neighborhood and hollywood the idea yeah because this kind of event watching classic movies on the side of an old historic mausoleum which holds the remains <laughs> of movie stars while you're sitting on a lawn named after Douglas Fairbanks next to Paramount Studios. Mm. That is a Hollywood event. <laughs> That's like people will pay money for that. But Hollywood, the neighborhood, like lower income South Hollywood that has so many different cultures and ethnicities and religions and rituals residing there. And great Johns. And great... <laughs> The Johns there. The Johns. Oh, the Johns on Santa Monica Boulevard. This hipster thing might not be respectful to them. So it, it certainly rides the line. Yeah. They started giving tours of the grounds there by Carrie Bible. You're kidding. 
Uh, that's is it, what's her middle name? Alice Carey A. Bible. That's funny. There's been uh, <laughs> concerts there. They have live podcast recordings. Last podcast on the left is recorded there. There's a Dia de los Muertos event that yeah, my, you used fa- to- my family took part in for like I think five, four or five years, and we loved it. We loved building the yeah. altar. We loved- I, I regret never going. You would always ask me to go, and I would never go because it, it Cause sounded. You're a bad friend. No, because I, <laughs> it's your family. It's it's not me or you. It's your family. I met your family. No, thanks. But it just, I don't know, because it sounded crowded and hard to get to, and you had to pay to get in. You had to pay to get in. Yeah, that's it was It me. was incredibly hard to park. But, but like, it sounded get, cool. We would get there at 6 in the morning, so it wasn't hard to park at 6 in the morning. We <laughs> that was also part of the problem. It's, it's a big part of the problem. Yeah, we love building the altar. We love walking around, meeting other people, sharing stories, checking out the altar. It was like a great event that I really do miss. Uh, some people criticize it and say that it's an like, American commercialization of the Day of the Dead. Again, it seemed to be run by people in the Latino community who really cared about the other dead and tried to keep traditions authentic. So I never really got a sense that it was being co-opt, but it also doesn't feel like a humble day of honoring the dead. A lot of people show up to the event in Halloween costumes, which is disrespectful to both Day of the Dead and the cemetery. Unless you're robbing graves, then it makes sense. But it wasn't all wholesome hipster hijinks for the Cassidy's because it was discovered that Brent, the brother, and their dad, Doug Cassidy, along with several other partners, were indicted for fraud in the pre-need funeral business, which I've read correctly deals with selling funeral pots to the we'll living be talking about that. long before the people need it pre-need. That's the name of the game in the next story. It said that 600 million in funds disappeared and although unlikely since Brent left Hollywood Forever in 2000, it's thought that maybe some of that went towards the repairs of Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Again, not proven, it's just speculation. They pleaded guilty to the wire fraud and money laundering and sentenced to prison, not Tyler Cassidy, who's kind of the main push of Hollywood Forever. The story of Hollywood Forever Cemetery is such a perfect reflection of the city starting as a wheat field or maybe an orchard and then it was bought by two founders of the city who were exploiting land for wealth, then run corruptly and disgracefully by a former crook no one bothered to look into and finally adopted and made whole by one possibly good guy with his crooked family from another city that is so quintessentially la a cemetery that places historical figures movie stars in the same place as just regular los angeles residents the high and the low resting amongst each other all in perfect harmony is so la and better get along that's hollywood forever cemetery Uh, and and it forever will be got him Got, him. Got it in. <laughs> That's one of the major cemeteries is, yeah. in the city. But now I'm going to get to another one. The other. The there, other. There is the other. There's one more big cemetery in this city. No, there's not. And this one, some may say, is better. It's not so disrespectful. Although a lot of people said that. <laughs> ah, Forest Lawn. Oh, the only way to die. This patch of land that would soon be the place the formerly rich and famous call nothing because they're all dead started at 1712 South Glendale Avenue in Glendale. The one I would stare at from my register at Staples. Could you really see it from yeah, there? Yeah, I would I'd be staring at my... Yeah, I've yeah, never been close. to the Glendale one. It's very nice. I have huh. many family members there. Really? Three. My grandparents and my cousin are there. You're part of history. My brother got married there. Really? Yeah. A funeral for the guy who got killed behind me was there. Really? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> well, we're going to touch on all of that, okay. especially the guy who got killed behind your house. <laughs> so this whole area used to be part of Rancher San Rafael. Okay. But in the late 1800s, it was bought by a lawyer named Andrew Glassell of Glassell Park. Really? Yeah. Okay. In 1905, his daughter sold it to J.B. Treadwell, who was apparently some sort of criminal, but I couldn't find out <laughs> specifically sort of what kind. <laughs> Horse thief murder. I don't know. They're all criminals to me. Wire uh, fraud? Could people's heads off. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, another criminal was involved in the early days of the cemetery. But after him, on September 18th, 1905, it was sold to the Tropico Land and Improvement Company with the, the intent Tropico. of making it a cemetery, which they opened January 11th, 1906. Whole part of town 
Tropico. Yeah, I didn't know it was called, but yeah, that area used it to got be incorpor- called Tropico. Yeah, it got incorporated by Glendale. Pretty smart guy. Uh, prove it. The cemetery, it was 55 acres. It only had 10 of those developed for use, and it was called Forest Lawn Cemetery. Okay. However, they weren't selling many plots in these early years. By August 1910, things were at their worst, and the cemetery was in grave trouble so they contacted two men (laughs) uh, that's really gonna cost you they contacted two men in another part of the country who were known for making cemeteries profitable a man named sims who we'll get to but most importantly a man named eaton who we'll get to now hubert lou wright eaton was born june 3rd 1881 in liberty missouri when he was a teenager his dad died suddenly in cairo on a trip to the holy land Mm. so a lot of pressure was put on him to help support the family when it came time for college which he started in 1897 at the school his dad had been a science professor at william jewell college which is also the school that was founded by jesse james's dad (laughs) and jesse like liberty missouri was where jesse james was from and so he was like they didn't know each other but but like they could have hometown boys his first summer there however he visited his aunt's ranch in montana where he punched cattle and the i don't know what that means well i'm pretty sure we both know what that means it used to serve a purpose but now it's just gonna mean and the lure of making money and punching bovines was too strong so he ended up staying there a whole year before he went back to college he studied chemistry but he was slowly finding out that his real talents lied in business and marketing not just cattle punching happy birthday Oh no, it happened. It happened. Oh, oh no. Oh no, oh, no. Oh, no. it's oh, happening. No. <laughs> oh no, I'm starting to get the Greg. Uh, thank you. You will. Yeah, how many how many strokes of midnight? That's what just happened everybody. I just turned 31. Yeah. My voice oh, may I just sound a little 31 right now. <laughs> Sorry, I Sorry. just took out a load. <laughs> I'm 31. I'm uh, just strapping on a tie to go to my real people job. That's not part time. I'm going to my professional podcast <laughs> now. How many strokes of midnight on my birthday have I been with you? I think like probably three or four three or four yeah for sure three or four it's weird it is weird i don't know why i'm always with you at midnight oh yeah i remember this (laughs) this is why this horrible lifestyle that we chose (laughs) which gets me back to let me just take it in bask in it I'm beautiful. I'm 31. I'll never age again. <laughs> this is the last time. God, 31. Wow. Hey, remember, it's meaningless. Go ahead. Hey, remember, we're talking about graveyards to remind you just how much closer you are. He realized that his talents were in business and marketing. This started becoming clear when he joined the basketball team, which at the time, basketball was considered a sissy game because it was indoors and there was no contact. This isn't war. When do you stab? <laughs> he quickly became the heartthrob on every sports team and was elected team businessman manager. Wow, like Joe Namath. His first order of business was to raise ticket prices, but he also needed to get more people interested in the game. So he started taking out ads for the team in the paper and making flashy posters to put all around campus, come watch our games. When the Haskell Indians were coming to play a good old-fashioned game of sissy ball, free of any political correctness, Eaton made up a poster saying the Indians are coming, and he put it all around town. And all this promotion worked, and under his guidance, the basketball team started making enough money not only to cover the their team fees, but all the team fees for all the sports teams wow. in the school. Marketing. Sex sells. And he sold his sex, all right. He sure sold his sex. Good night, everybody. I'm 31. <laughs> this joke is not more immature than me. This joke will age better than I am. But after graduating, he decided to put those business skills to rest, and he utilized his chemistry degree instead and got a job working at a mine in Montana. And within four years, he was promoted to first research chemist of that mine. Cool. After this, he got an even better job as chief chemist at a mine in Pueblo, Mexico. And then in 1909, he became general manager of his cousin's silver mine in Nevada. And that mine made a million dollars in its first year. They built a whole 
whole town with new roads, new equipment around this mine. And then the earth shifted and the silver vein was lost. And they spent a year- How do we keep the earth from shifting like that again? I don't want to find another one. (laughs) They spent a year and all of their money trying to find the silver vein again, and they did not. So now Eaton was lost. And in 1911, he found himself in St. Louis, where a friend told him about this man named C.B. Sims. That's not C.B. 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 He had a crazy business proposition, which Uh you were getting to. You see, at the time, when somebody died, you'd buy them a plot in a cemetery and you'd bury them. There was no pre-planning. There was no dibs on a spot in a cemetery before you were actually dead. But Sims believed that there was a market for people to buy cemetery plots for themselves while they were still alive, which was unheard of. It was like ghoulish. You would not do this. I'm going to die one day. Stop it. No, you won't. Stop it. No, you won't. We don't know that. I'm 31. I'm going to die tomorrow. Sims pitched this idea of before need plots to Eaton, who was extremely skeptical, but he decided to put his old business skills to work and he started going door to door to sell living people cemetery plots. And he found that most people were not interested except very Christian people. They were very interested and Eaton had finally found a new silver vein. Fearful Christians who love peacocks. Who love peacocks and little Caesars. Eaton and Sims formed the American Securities Corporation selling people before need plots and their reputation spread far enough to Glendale, California, where the failing Forest Lawn Cemetery decided to reach out to them. In early 1913, Eaton and Sims took over sales operations of Forest Lawn with aggressive marketing on billboards, in the papers, on the radio. Feel like dying soon? Yeah. Are you 31 they would send people things in the mail this was hand in hand with the city's land boom also new people needed new land to live on they needed new land to die on but even so people weren't buying it was just like i ain't buying it i'm not but i don't believe it maybe it was the overall skepticism of the before need plots being sold or maybe it was that the world war the first one was about to start and people were distracted or maybe it was because a flood in 1914 took out the bridges going across the river to get into glendale but things weren't good i like that you couldn't sell plots to people who were going to war or going to die and the floods where people were dying were making it worse and people were still like no 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 i don't have to worry about this by this point sims had left the picture but eaton hung on and by 1915, business was actually starting to pick up. I wonder why, World War One. But now Eaton wanted a piece of the action and a bigger role in the cemetery, but the owners denied him that. So in 1916, he started making plans to buy 100 acres in Eagle Rock to start his own cemetery. And this scared those old ghouls at Forest Lawn. They gave him whatever he wanted yeah. to then become manager. Within a year, he was president of the cemetery. But though business was picking up, Eaton still had a fundamental problem with the cemetery. It was ugly. To be honest, it was downright fugly. It was overgrown and it was... going to date you. (laughs) What a hitter. I'd rather spit her. Is that how it goes? I don't know. I was was referencing Marla Hooch, but it's fine. Go ahead. It was overgrown. It was bleak. It was grim. It looked like a cemetery. So as the legend goes, Eaton on January 1st, 1917 was walking over the grounds and he wondered, why does a graveyard have to be a sad place? Why did they have to be so gray and oppressive? Couldn't there be a beautiful passage to eternity instead of a little piece of hell? Why wouldn't there be a cemetery that only emphasized the positive memories of people and the sunny Southern Californianess of mm-hmm. life? This was the day he decided to write what became known as the Builder's Creed, and he himself became known as the Builder. Wow. <laughs> it, Bob? Bob. <laughs> 
it was his mission statement for how he planned on reshaping Forest Lawn. Okay. Now I'm just picturing Bob the Builder etching this yeah. into a wall. He wanted to erase all signs of mourning, make it a place dedicated not to death, but to eternal life. Okay. I know the cemeteries of today are wrong because they depict an end, not a beginning. I therefore prayerfully resolve on this New Year's yeah. Day, 1917, that I shall endeavor to build Forest Lawn as different, as unlike other cemeteries, as sunshine is unlike darkness, as eternal life is unlike death. He wanted to turn it into what he referred to as God's garden. He toured the big cemeteries of the U.S. to try to figure out why they weren't treated as places of beauty and a place someone would want to spend time in. He wanted to know why they were seen as places you go to out of duty and not a place you appreciate. What he found on his tour were the grim old graveyards of the East Coast, with the exception of Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, which was unique in the U.S. for being more like a park than a small enclosed space, but it was still littered with these crumbly old tombstones. This is when Eaton came up with a concept that changed the entire cemetery world. No tombstones. They gave an overwhelming mood to a cemetery, which was counter to what he wanted, so he banned tombstones from Forest Lawn in favor of flat markers in the ground. Yeah. Nothing that sticks up. It's a good look. It is, because we'll get to this was all part of the plan, but when I was at the Hollywood Hills one, it's like, like, this is vast. Like, this is a big, open, nice space. Where am I? Yeah, it's a very serene. It's easy on the eyes. That's something we can relate to. There was no other cemetery in the world that had this as their official policy to have no tombstones. So any standing tombstones you might see at Forest Lawn Glando, those are leftovers from the oldest parts of the cemetery. Next up were the names. This was no longer a cemetery. This was Forest Lawn Memorial Park. Mm -hmm. The other innovation he started was the naming of each section of the park, which was not something that cemeteries did. There's Whispering Pines, Dawn of Tomorrow, Slumberland, Graceland, Borderland. There's also Babyland and Lullabyland, which are for children, complete with a replica of Sleeping Beauty's Castle. And if that wasn't sad enough, the area is shaped like a heart, and around the heart are moms who wanted to be buried close to their kids. You know, we have been talking about cemeteries. This whole entire time. (laughs) We didn't just start right now. This giving pleasant names to the different sections of plots was another Eaton first. These were all ideas that seemed crazy and revolutionary at the time, but by the 30s, all the big cemeteries in the world were incorporating these ideas that he laid out. To make the place even more inviting and pleasant, he had music playing on speakers throughout the park. Mm -hmm. Aside from the actual grave parts of the graveyard, he also wanted the rest of the place to be beautiful with unobstructed views of the surrounding area, and more importantly, architecture and art. All the buildings and churches there that were built in the park were modeled after other renowned buildings in Britain and Italy, but Eaton took his art seriously, and he took it to a level no cemetery had ever seen before. Since he wanted this to become a place people come just to visit and enjoy the beauty, he needed art for that. So he proposed this to the board of directors. They told him art has no place in a cemetery, and most importantly, it's expensive. Yeah, we'll take artists, we won't take art. So Eaton just took it upon himself and bought his first piece of art with his own money. Duck Baby. Which is woohoo, which is a <laughs> statue of a girl holding a duck under each of her arms. That was the first one he got. That okay. He got that at the Panama Pacific International Exposition in San Francisco. But once you buy a duck baby, you can't just buy one duck baby. Yeah, you, you, you got to get all the all the duck mama, duck yep. daddy, Hold, the full duck dynasty. Yeah. He wanted Michelangelo's next, mm. but he didn't just want, want he, can't, he, he knew that much. I can't yeah. get a Michelangelo, but he didn't just want cheap knockoffs. He looked all over Europe to find the best recreation of Michelangelo's sculptures. Yeah. Forest Lawn is now the only place 
place in the world with a complete set of reproduced Michelangelo wow. Angelo sculptures. They're even made with rock from the same quarries as the real ones were. The only thing that was not exact in the collection was that the David there used to have a fig leaf over the juiciest part, yeah. which people called them prudes for years. 19- show me the peepees. I want to see it. You're being withholding. In 19- If he doesn't show his, you got to show yours. Rules are rules. You show me his, I'll show you mine. <laughs> in the 1971 earthquake, the whole statue crumbled. Oh my God. Which Except for one part. <laughs> the, the fig leaf fell off. I knew it was under there. The picture of that is so funny though, because it's it's not Eaton, but it's the other guy who took over. And he's like, it's a David and Goliath photo where he's just standing over this crumbled statue of David. So then when they decided to make a new one, they decided that the public was mature enough to see David the way Michelangelo made him. So now the new one is raw and exposed oh, for anyone man. to go and sketch. You're sick. You pervert. You like that? You, li- you like you that? You go to a you cemetery and that's what you're looking for? I came for bones, not this. Not one particular one. <laughs> there are marble statues all around the Great Mausoleum that were made in Rome in the 20s by Ernesto Gazzari. The front gates are yeah. the biggest wrought iron fences in the world. Really? They're bigger than Buckingham Palace. Wow. The Memorial Court of Honor, which Eaton saw as the Westminster Abbey of Southern California, has a stained glass on it that took seven years to make. And today, throughout all the forest lawns, there's over 500 people pieces of stained glass. There's also an Americana section to the place with sculptures of Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, and George Washington. Speaking of Washington, supposedly the giant chain links in the Court of Freedom, there were some of the actual chain links that were used to defend the Hudson River in 1776. That's what they say, which that's crazy that they have it. It's also crazy that they put giant chain links across a river to keep keep out. They were still figuring things out. If we pull it up, the boats will trip. Uh, The boat legs will trip, right? (laughs) The first building dedicated specifically as an art gallery there was Holly Terrace but since 1957 they've had their museum there filled with things like they have one of the Easter Island heads they have a collection one of every type of coin mentioned in the Bible which used to belong to Eaton's dad they have tons of exhibits also that have nothing to do with the cemetery which sounds kind of weird but it makes sense because Eaton wanted this to not just a cemetery it's just another venue in the city for the living and stay tuned a few weeks from now because we're going to be doing a field trip there in a couple weeks get ready for it before need prepare for this they also apparently used to have talking statues, which seem definitely not tacky. Like in the Haunted Mansion? Yeah. They would project in your car driving yeah. out. Oh, there oh. might be someone in their back You seat might be taking a grandma you. with you. There's always one way out. It's <laughs> the exit. But the crown jewel of the place may be one particular painting. It was made by a Polish painter named Jan Stajka when Forest Lawn was still a patch of grass without people under it. It was a painting of the crucifixion that was made between the year 1894 and 1897. And the reason it took so long, it's because it's 95 feet long and 45 feet tall. You're kidding. This was so deep of a religious obligation to Stika to make this definitive painting of the crucifixion. Before he started, he had his paint palette blessed by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Wow. <laughs> he kissed the. He didn't tell him he's got green all over his yeah, face. I'm uh, still astounded by the size of it. Speaking of David, no, it's. We'll get to more about the size. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I mean, we'll we'll talk about fitting it in. We'll fit it in later. No, uh, no, no. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. But yeah, no, it's huge. The finished thing was so moving and impressive, it started going on tour around Europe and was even put on display in one of the palaces of Tsar Nicholas II, who was the last Tsar of the Rasputin Tsar of Russia. He was the last one. But in 1904, it came to America for the St. Louis World's Fair and everything got ruined. When it got there, they realized it was too big to display anywhere in St. Louis. We're going to park a spruce goose on top of it. There was no room, so they just rolled it up. But Stika had brought other paintings of his to display and sell, but a fire broke out at the fair 
and burned all of those on the last night of the expo. So now all he had was no money and a 195-foot-long painting of the crucifixion. <laughs> so when he tried to leave the country, he couldn't afford the exit tax on the painting. So he had to leave it behind. And it got lost until 1943 when it was found wrapped around an old telephone pole <laughs> in the basement of the Chicago Civic Opera Company building. This thing that entertained the last Tsar of Russia was like being peed on by gangsters in Chicago. The second Eaton found out about this mythical lost masterpiece being found, he said, gimme, but he wanted to see it to make sure it was the real deal. So he paid to have it put on personal display for him at the only place in Los Angeles big enough to do that, the Shrine Auditorium. Oh, yeah. So once he saw it in tall, I can't even imagine how big this thing is, but we'll, we'll we're be gonna seeing, we're going to see it. Yeah. Once he saw it and confirmed it was authentic, he bought it for $250,000. Then he encountered the problem I always run into whenever I buy a piece of art. You end up spending even more on the frame than you did on the painting. His problem was the Shrine Auditorium was the only place in the city big enough to display it. Shrine Auditorium isn't in Forest Lawn. Yeah. So now Eaton had to spend a million dollars to build a hall in Forest Lawn big enough to oh display this painting. It was the Hall of the Crucifixion Resurrection. It was dedicated on Good Friday, 1951, making Stika's painting now the biggest permanently displayed religious painting in the world. It's two of the biggest things in the world in one space yep, in they, Glendale. Yep. They also have a pretty big painting of the resurrection in there too that they, they had a worldwide contest to find the best depiction of it. And so those two, like you, apparently you go in there and it's a massive auditorium and it gives you a thing like in the beginning there was, <laughs> and, it, and then they're like, and then there was this and it's music and it the curtains Oof. open and it's 195 feet of crucifixion. I bet that curtain takes like 30 minutes to open all the way. <laughs> so piece by piece, Forest Lawn started becoming a renowned place of beauty so much so that in 1923, Cora Gregory Wells and Archie Milton Howes became the first people to get married at Forest Lawn, which sounds weird, but since then, your brother's been married there. Over mm. 70,000 others have done the same thing, including Ronald Reagan and Regis Philbin to each other. All of this combined to make Forest Lawn the most visited tourist attraction in Southern California until 1957. That's two years after Disneyland opened. Jeez. It was bigger than Disneyland for two years of its existence. But of course, a cheery cemetery that's a venue for art and joy was seen as repulsive to East Coasters, so yeah. Forest Lawn also became the target of criticism and parody. A writer, Jessica Mitford, said that Eaton had more influence on trends in the modern cemetery industry than any other human being. She didn't mean that in a good way. Oh. The place was referred to as Disneyland for the Dead, also not in a good way. Mm. Evelyn oh. Evel oh. uh, uh, Disneyland? Oh, that's oh. nice. <laughs> For the dead. Evelyn Waugh's The Loved One is a satire of Forest Lawn, okay. which is referred to as Whispering Glades in that one. Aldous Huxley also wrote about it in After Many a Summer Dies the Swan. Speaking Jeez. of your boat trip of boat yours. Trip. In that book, he calls it the Beverly Pantheon. Love it or leave it though, Eaton in the early days had trouble selling people on the idea of being buried in a graveyard with no tombstones. Yeah. It was so crazy to people that they couldn't wrap their heads around it, but what they could wrap their heads around was a good discount. He had to offer people 10% off their funeral if they were willing to give up monument privileges, meaning no tombstone. Yeah. And it worked. But what really started making the place attractive to even more people was yet another of Eaton's revolutionary visions, to offer everything you would need for a funeral in one place to make the process as easy as possible. Yeah. So in 1917, he opened a crematorium on the premises. Then came the chapels, churches in there for services. Then came an administrative building to coordinate things, complete with a flower shop to buy your flowers. Yeah. But the sticking point was trying to open a mortuary 
mortuary inside the cemetery in the early 30s because there had never been a mortuary inside of a cemetery before anywhere. It was not done. The reasons were political because the morticians were afraid that the convenience of a mortuary inside of a cemetery would be too convenient and it would take away their business and also their ability to charge whatever prices they came up with. They were also cutting secret deals with certain cemeteries to push their clients there and they would get a piece of the deal. So they didn't want a place undercutting them. So there was an understanding that you didn't build a mortuary in your cemetery. So when Eaton ignored that age-old pact, they organized and they took action against him. The first thing they did was that the morticians used their political poll to get a law passed quickly saying that if you wanted to open a mortuary, you had to have a certain amount of caskets at the ready. And then they took it one step further by pressuring casket makers across the country to not sell caskets to Forest Lawn. (laughs) These are morticians. We're going to make our own caskets then. (laughs) Forest Lawn makes caskets now. We bought a lumber factory. (laughs) He came close to a deal with one company he found, but before it could go through, he got a call from the owner saying, every funeral director in the country would boycott us if we sold to you. It would ruin us, so we can't sell anything to you. But they were saved at the last second. There was a group of independent funeral directors who didn't like the tactics that their peers were using, so they provided Forest Lawn with the caskets. But then they were still denied a mortuary because they said they didn't have a specific address since it was inside of a larger cemetery. So Eaton appealed this decision. He personally went to Washington, D.C. after tons of lobbying, promises, appeals on both sides, and a lawsuit from the granite companies and tombstone makers who were upset with Eaton for no no tombstone rule, saying it was an unfair restraint of trade. And then there were battles with the state legislator, state board of funeral directors, the Great Northern Casket Company. They're acting like this is the only cemetery ever. (laughs) Eventually, he got his mortuary, January 1st, 1934, the first one in the country to open inside of a cemetery. Now you could get everything you needed in one place. And their slogan was Forest Lawn, where one call does it all. That rhymes. Their patrons are floating. They've got at least $20. In 1949, they became one of the first cemeteries in the country to advertise their prices because most other places would be purposely secretive about it so they could take advantage of people in the time of crisis. You have no idea what a funeral should cost. Like, whatever, I'll pay it. Their prices were so low that the LA County funeral directors once again sued them. (laughs) Forest Lawn grew to 317 acres, but they also expanded into new locations. 1944, they bought 400 acres of El Rancho Providencia on the Hollywood Hills, serviced the population of the valley that was growing, 6,300 Forest Lawn Drive. First burial there was on March 8th, 1948. The art in that one is more colonial focused. And Uh since this was built longer after the Builder's Creed, there are no tombstones at all anywhere in this place. 1959, they opened one in Cyprus. 1965, they opened one in Covina Hills, which has the Life of Christ mosaic, which is the biggest mosaic in the Western Hemisphere. That's 172 feet long by 35 feet high. In 1978, they bought an older cemetery in Long Beach, made that their own. All in all, there's now 11 forest lawn locations in Southern California. Now, even though they say they give no preferential treatment to anybody who is buried there, the Glendale and Hollywood Hills ones are pretty well known for the celebrities. We're we're going celebrity hunting. (laughs) They wouldn't let me go see W.C. Fields. Well, yeah. Well, 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 yeah. yeah. You shouldn't know. Oh, nor should you. Let's name every single famous person buried there. (laughs) Samuel Goldwyn, Edith Head, Gummo Marks, Mary Wells, Clark Gable, Walt Disney, Carol Lombard, Humphrey Bogart, W.C. Fields, don't look at him. Michael Jackson, also don't look at him. (laughs) Elizabeth Taylor, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Lon Chaney, Nat King Cole, Sammy Davis Jr., Sam Cooke, Jimmy Stewart, Errol Flynn, Red Skelton, now goes by White Skeleton, (laughs) Joe E. Brown, Chico Mark, Sid Grauman, Louis L'Amour, L. Frank Baum, Jack LaLanne, Spencer Tracy, Faye Ray, Fritz Lang, Albert Broccoli, Bob Clampett, Betty Davis, Lucille Ball, Liberace, Stan Laurel, Gene Autry, Lou Rawls, Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, Art 
Tatum, Lauren Bacall, Pope John Paul II visited Forest Lawn Glendale once. <laughs> then there's the old friends of our show, King Gillette, yes. the Razor guy yeah, from I Malibu, Marion Parker, uh-huh. Amy Simple McPherson, mm-hmm. William Mulholland, William Wrigley Jr., and of course, Mary Pickford. Sweet little Mary Pickford. She's, she's buried everywhere, actually. Mary, um, that's where Marion Parker ended up? Yeah. They're pretty secretive and they're discreet about where the celebrities are. They're not going to tell you yeah. because even though they want people just to hang out there, it's still a graveyard. Yeah. You aren't even allowed into the Grand Mausoleum because there's so many celebrities in there and just as many security cameras. There's also the secret garden where a lot of the big celebrities are, but you only friends and family of people buried there have a special key to be able to get in there. The most exclusive part of the cemetery is the Court of Honor. You can only be buried here if you're specially selected by the Forest Lawn Council of Regents and the only ones who have ever made it in here are Jan Steika, the guy who painted the crucifixion, Gutson Borglum, who's the guy who made Mount Rushmore, Carrie Jacobs Bond, who wrote the song I Love You Truly, no idea, composer Rudolf Frimmel, no idea, Robert Andrews Milliken, who was a Nobel Prize winner for something I couldn't understand, Dr. Rufus B. von Kleinschmidt, who was a chancellor of USC, and the last one, of course, Eaton himself, right. who died September 20th, 1966 in Beverly Hills. Eaton had completely changed the funeral industry and the looks of cemeteries forever. But let's not also forget that in the early days of the cemetery, they didn't allow Jewish, black or Chinese people. And during the 60s, he was also pro-segregation. In 1945, Eaton's nephew... Pretty big pothole there, huh? In 1945, Eaton's nephew, Frederick Llewellyn, joined the place. And after Eaton died, management went over to him. Today, the place is now run by that guy's son. So now you know who to email to reserve an early spot in the court of honor for the two most important people in LA history. Us. Imagine. Imagine us dying. That's weird, huh? I'm what 31. I'm going to live forever. I'm 30. I'm going to live forever. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I had no idea all of that about Forest Lawn. Both of these things, because you were saying, like, what's there really to say it about a cemetery? Yeah. And I started Valhalla, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's criminal crime, crime haven. Right. Yeah. And then I started this, and I was like, oh, okay, so this revolutionized cemetery, of course. Of course it did. It's so weird to think the words revolutionized cemeteries. <laughs> the hottest new thing yeah. in graveyards. I thought it was just like, well, they're either above ground or they're below ground. Like, I thought that was the difference in they could be a little bit of both <laughs> he perfected the uh carrot sticking out of the ground method where their heads would be sticking out so yeah those are cemetery a little bit of uh spookiness yeah. for the halloween season go visit these places spook around mm-hmm. so now let's get to the listener question yes please this one uh is from kevin smith not that one wow oh it's the, <laughs> have oh, you it's... guys seen clerks <laughs> this one comes from kevin smith hi kevin smith hi kevin i know you're listening <laughs> you making monsters right now tell us you make a monster, baby. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. I'll see you at work. Um, <laughs> here's the question. Do you guys have any personal, speaking of celebrities, any personal celebrity encounter stories from around LA? If not, wait, make one up. We've got good ones. Well, yeah. I know I have I have ones. like eight written down. And I, okay, separate. It doesn't count if you went to like a talk. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And at least, I've seen Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, and you couldn't see them from afar and be like, oh, that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, you, no. There had to be some kind of encounter. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay. You do your two and I'll do my eight. You just reminded me of one, but when. And I was sitting next to Buzz Aldrin, but that doesn't quite count because he was invited to that thing. Yeah, but yeah. I was sitting next to Buzz Aldrin. I just nice. want people to know that. The first one was I was when I was interning at this place in Beverly Hills, and it was in a building. It's Beverly Hills, and yes. there's celebrity stuff going on. It's all these film offices, and I'm walking out to lunch, and I'm not really paying attention because I'm an intern and I'm yeah. just being debased and degraded <laughs> for, for free. For, <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. I'm coming from one end of the hallway. Someone else is coming up from the other end of the hallway. We're both going towards the staircase to go to the front exit and I see that it's this old guy and I'm like all right we're gonna we both get to the stairs at the same exact time so we're walking down the stairs together and then he kind of starts like limping and I'm like oh my god this guy's gonna 
fall down the stairs. This old man's going to fall down the stairs. I'm going to have to call the ambulance. I'm gonna, he's going to die in my arms. Great. <laughs> great. I'm going to be a hero to some people. Great. <laughs> great. I killed the old man. Everyone will worship me. Then I get to the door first. I go out. I hold the door open for him. He says, thanks. He walks by. And then as he walks by, a UPS guy's coming through. He's like, that was Steve Martin. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I remember you texting me after that. And then I'm like, You won't believe who I ignored. <laughs> He was on his phone. He was like dancing down the stairs next yeah. to me, I guess to like, I don't know if he was just having fun for himself or he yeah. was trying to make me laugh, but I was like ignoring him oh my God. and he's walking down the street and I'm following him to see if like, maybe I could still talk to him and everyone in every car and restaurant is like, Steve Martin. They're all like go looking. The heat of Steve Martin. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then he gets to his car, he's going in his car and someone goes up to him and he's like, leave me alone. But that was my Steve Martin encounter and I'll always regret not saying anything yeah. to him. Do you want to hear my second one or do you yes. want to do one? No, I want to hear second one you were here for the second one because i when i was living in france yes it was in a small town in the south of france and paul saison and studio was there and it was like a place you could visit so i visited there and it was like me and my friend and nobody else was there so we're just wandering around the gardens and then i get to the front of the house and Wes Anderson is there. And I mm-hmm. was like, hi, Wes Anderson. And, and I, <laughs> We had the same haircut, Wes Anderson. <laughs> we, I, I took a picture with him yeah. and I was like, what are, you, what are you doing here? And we talked for like a second and then whoever he was with wanted to leave. So I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. And then a year later, almost to the day, you and I are in Amoeba Records and we go up to the DVD area and Wes Anderson is across from me. And I went up to him and I was like, do you remember one year ago, you were at Paul Cezanne's <laughs> studio. I took a picture with you and then he pretended to remember who I was and then Fantastic Mr. Fox was about to come out That's and I was right. like I can't wait to see my Fantastic Mr. Fox and he's like oh okay you're thinking of Paul Thomas Anderson you're like oh <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah I night. can't wait to see Magnolia <laughs> oops I was like okay well you know it's good to see you again and then he said I'll see you somewhere out there That's and I haven't seen him charming. since. Yeah. Those are my two biggest celebrity experiences. What were yours? Okay, the first one I'll get out of the way because it happened to both of us. We went to go see Conan, right? And not Albert Brooks who sat right in front of us. Oh, yeah. But we were getting on the car and we were, we were lost and a voice came from the parking lot like, if you're looking for Conan's down there, and it was Sona. What's that, Ian? His assistant. Yeah, thank you, Sona. Thank you, Sona. Can we have jobs? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that doesn't count because Conan was the one talking. Yeah. But yeah, Albert Brooks was two seats in and front of like, us. And we're like, is that Robert Wool? No, idiot. <laughs> Albert Brooks was like, yeah, two seats in front of us. I yeah. had to move out of the way because Albert Brooks was in my way. <laughs> I'll rattle through the quick ones and I'll get to the good ones. Sid Haig, who just passed, what, two days ago yesterday? He sat in front of me when we went to go see Spider Baby at the New Beverly. <laughs> he wasn't there to speak or anything and no one paid any attention to one of the stars of the movie. I was at the Standard one time for my friend Nick's birthday and elevator doors opened up and a guy came out with a big bodyguard, a guy with a crazy afro and it was Phil Spector. <laughs> And I walked right next to him and I was almost frozen in the place because this was after he killed that lady before he went to jail. In middle school, we were visited by an actress who graduated and she was going to be in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids 3. But then before that or after that, she was going to be in a TV show and it was Mila Kunis. My friend Jessica was almost hit. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I was hit my friend Jessica with his car and I was like, that's a guy from Half Nelson. And they're like, no one cares about Ryan Gosling. And then a year later, he was in whatever. The- I was working at Staples and Maria Bamford came in and yeah. I was very nice to her. And so was somebody else. Mark Maron also yeah, came Mark in Maron. and I said your show has been great and I thought he I think he thought I meant the TV show because it was new and I'm like not really not the scripted one yeah Marie Bafford was great and that, right as she was leaving I was like I had just seen the night the night before I'd seen her special where she did comedy for her parents in her in her yeah, house really. in Eagle Rock so I was like hey I saw your special last night and it was really great because the entire time we were talking I didn't bring up that I knew who she was and I finally as she was walking out the door I was like I'm a big fan of yours and she stood facing the door with like two 
bags full of stuff she just bought and was like, oh, that's why you were nice to me. And then she walked out the door. <laughs> One time I was in Los Feliz and I see a, a French bulldog oh, yeah. come up and start peeing in front of me. I'm like, that's John, like John Mulaney's dog. And I looked up, it was John Mulaney. <laughs> well, the way I remember you telling you, you're like, hey, that's John Mulaney's dog. You looked up, hey, that's John Mulaney's wife. That's right. Hey, that's John Mulaney. <laughs> and I ran away. <laughs> I was dating a girl in college you remember her and uh-huh. she had a friend who did makeup for porn mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. for adult actresses we went to dinner with her we or, did go to a dinner with her yeah. but i went to another dinner for her birthday casa vega <laughs> and was, was sitting amongst many adult actresses i was like i know you i know you i know you but my favorite mm-hmm. of all of these was a gas station on hyperion <laughs> it was hyperion and griffith park whatever that is there by marshall and bud court who played harold and harold and Maude, but more importantly was Brewster McCloud and was one of my favorite movies was there and we were right next to each other getting gas and uh, he was just all messed up because he had I guess he had messed up his knee and he was on medication and he's like I shouldn't be driving right now but he, him and I were just talking and I made, but Maude wanted it this way yeah we were talking for a long time we were talking about his knee and how he didn't feel good lately something about one of his dogs I can't really remember but we were talking for a long time like maybe five or six minutes to the point where we're like hey Bud Court I gotta go and as I was leaving I wanted I said to him like hey I, I, I don't hey Bud Hey, want to have a catch? <laughs> I don't usually do this, but Bruce McCloud's one of my favorite movies, and you were absolutely perfect in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just happy to meet you and see you. And he looks so touched by that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, bye now. Okay. Bye forever. All right. Go back to washing yeah. cars. <laughs> well, you, you reminded me of a few things. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, Andy Dick. We've, you've been with, I've seen Andy Dick like four times. Oh, that's right. Everybody has seen Andy Dick. Oh, you were at a party. I was at a party with Andy. I was at a party with a lot of strange things happening. Yeah, uh, that's right. But you were called a lesbian by a, a by comedian who's another on his way up right now. Yeah. When we were at CSUN, William Hung. <gasps> that's right. <laughs> William Hung was, was a student. And you pushed me into a soda machine, a vending machine. Greg. Hard and it's William Hung, it's Greg. Hung, Greg. That wasn't even our first time seeing him because we no. saw we worked in the library. We saw him all the yeah, time. Saw William William Hung. Hung. <laughs> I also remember another thing because um, Kenneth Mars, who played the Nazi in the producers and oh, the uh, that's... the uh, Burger Master or whatever yeah. in Young Frankenstein, he lived in Porter Ranch. So I would see him around Granada Hills. I would see him. I would see him working out at the YMCA, and then I would see him like walking around the Granada Hills parade. That's a good get. Yeah. That's that was pretty good. Cool. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. No, yeah. Yeah. I had worked for like a, a record company that did like psychobilly stuff, and we became friends with the drummer from the Germs, the, the <laughs> punk band from the 80s, to the point where like, oh, Don Bowles is here. We got to go. Like, Don, like, it became uh, weird and annoying that Don Bowles wanted to talk to us, the drummer from the Germs, which is one of the. Uh, I talked to DJ Bonebreak, was the drummer, another drummer from X, which is one of my favorite bands. He's one of my favorite drummers. And I did not want, at one point, say, I, was, I have an X tattoo. The only tattoo I have. Have is a, your band the lifestyles LA. of the rich and the famous la she if loves you, me if you want to see a celebrity i think that the best places to go to see uh, a celebrity in la if you're listening to this mm-hmm. the arc light or the yeah. amoeba or any galsons the well, two galsons where i to. shop you know you'll see me but um <laughs> i also recommend studio city that like strip like where the bookstore is like around there where oh. the barnes and noble that area on like a saturday or maybe even sunday afternoon mm-hmm. you're gonna see somebody it's you'll fun. see somebody you'll see somebody yeah, trust. i'll make sure oh yeah 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 what a fun way to end this episode way. i know uh, talking about bud court we all knew it would end this way <laughs> from the cradle to the bud court we're courting you bud wow to leave us a review on I, itunes <laughs> I, like i'm spitting up blood that was so bad it was pretty good so leave us a review on itunes mm-hmm. or wherever you listen to podcasts leave us five stars of some words it makes us more visible it gets more people interested also tell people about us yeah. if you have friends who might like this 
tell them. This indescribable thing <laughs> that we do. This HP Lovecraft indescribable mess. From the deep reaches of space. <laughs> tell them about it. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Ellie Meekly. Like mm-hmm. us on Facebook. Uh, Instagram, Ellie underscore Meekly. That's where, please feel free post to stuff every day. bother us. Please bother, bother us. us. We send like it when question, people send us. us uh, send us your own listener question. Yes, Email please. us Ellie.Meekly at gmail.com or contact us any other way. We love it. And we'll field trips. We're doing more field trips. So if you have a place, if you work at a place that you think is important, reach out to us and we'll go and interview you. And we've been talking about all of my Patreon things, making jokes, rhyming, rapping. We kid. We, we like the we kid. kid. In all seriousness, <laughs> for $5 a month, I will make a joke on paper for you. <laughs> we will send you... Because I can't help it because I'm compelled to. I, can't. I cannot write a serious thing if my life... If there was a gun pointed to my head and they're like, write a serious note, I'd be like, pull the trigger because that's not going to happen. Knock, knock, I'm dead. <laughs> for $5 a month, we will send you a postcard, a handwritten, handwritten postcard, postcard, and we'll send it to you. And it also, uh, you know, it supports... Uh, we don't make any money from this, so it supports us. It keeps us going yep. financially, and it's very nice. You can even give less. We don't send you anything, but you can give us less. And a few people have done that. A guy from Portugal emailed us, and right. we we like that. Yeah, we do like that. And you know, and he says that he wants the money to go towards us buying ice cream. Yeah, you won't get the money because I can't have ice cream. <laughs> Tuesh daidu. <laughs> that's pandering. That's fan service, which is suddenly a bad thing. So yeah, well that that's been our October thing. Everybody, you got homework due. Yeah, you got homework November. due by October. Let's say twenty third. Yeah. If it's after that, sorry. Sorry. Your words are falling on deaf ears. You gotta move out. You gotta go to Riverside or Santa Clarita. Yeah. Send it to their podcast. Yeah. Which is just a to Peapod. Remember that joke? No. To Peapod. Was it good? I remember it being really funny. I remember it going over really well with you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having to repeat it a lot of times. So that means it was funny. You know, we'll see you then. Uh that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly coming out once every four weekly <sighs> since twenty thirteen. Don't Venmo him money. Please don't do it. Please do. Please Please do. Please do. (laughs) It's my birthday.